Welcome to ComTrack, where you'll never have to watch a movie alone again. I'm your host, Tim Leifide, and joining me, as always, is my good friend, Sean Wheeler. How you doing, Sean? Pretty darn good. Looking forward to getting yeah. into this. Oh, yeah, dude. We got a doozy for this one, because, I mean, look, like, it's kind of impossible to not do this one this year, especially for November the 5th, because I don't know how many people are actually listening, you know, you know, all three people that are listening to this <laughs> opening night. Um, but yeah, we're posting this on November the 5th, Guy Fox evening for you listeners out in Britain. Hopefully there's a significant more of you now that I've uh, appeased to your ghost watch uh, little uh, tickle spot. <laughs> but uh yeah and of course if you want to just skip ahead go straight to the movie like not hear all our stupid ass bullshit there's as always there's a uh a, a button below that'll tell you when the movie begins and you can just sync it up from there but that said v for fucking vendetta dude yeah like okay so i want to know because you again you've got a longer comic book history than me uh sean so like did, now, were you introduced to the movie or the the, the book first? Because I actually got an, introduced to the film first. Ah, uh, uh, no, I uh, I was introduced to the book first because, well, once you read Watchmen, you're just like, what else has this man done? Oh yeah, dude, totally. And, That's and exactly so kinda, my mindset. Yeah, so you kind of ended up going down that rabbit hole. So, um, I definitely you know read the book prior to seeing the movie, and, um. Yeah, it's it's certainly a weird creature because I love the book so much. Uh, it's, I mean, I understand the burns of Watchmen, but honestly, uh, V for Vendetta is probably my favorite thing that that Moore has done uh, from all his various works. I mean, I I haven't read anything by Moore that I've ever been like, well, I didn't like that. But I think you know, my yeah, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to not like anything with you know yeah. his name stamped on it. You see, you uh, hell like. Just any for any comic book reader, anything with the you know the th the credit stamped written by Alan Moore, it's just you know all, you know nerdgasms all around. Like that's that's our coming. Yeah. So <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know I, I I dig all his stuff. I mean, really enjoyed it. And I just think that you know V for Vendetta, in particular, really encapsulated. Um, so many of the political beliefs that I was just coming into at the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, obviously on the side of, of V, um, I've always kind of been very anti-authoritarian in my uh, outlook and viewpoint. And as weird as it is to say, it just it took longer for that to crystallize into a political position than just a general, like, I hate authority rebel. <laughs> Yeah, well, I see. I read it when I was a lot younger, so I was totally like, "Fuck the police!" <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah, I really uh, was like, "Fuck everything!" Like, just smash the Native Americans lived without uh, real, th which is total bullshit. Like, I want to slap my sixteen-year-old self. Like, bitch, they totally had leadership. They had organizations. It's just, oh yeah, they were just a, they were just a lot smaller. <laughs> and they were a lot more, uh, a little more chaotic, like you know those old uh, tribals and tribes and civilizations and whatnot. But you know that's that's just you know fucking. It wasn't even so much that they teenager were, shit. It wasn't even so much that they were smaller. They just figured out ways to 
you know, coexist with their environment and then as opposed to deciding to fully dominate it. Yeah, exactly. And I guess that's why I was able to sort of twist it, you know, in my stupid 16, 17-year-old mindset. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's years later where I'm like, oh, my God, it's, it's, it's so cringy. It's like looking through your, you know, your high school doodles when you were, like, way goth, like, embarrassingly <laughs> goth. Because I don't want to dig in, like, you know, dig on any, like, actual cool goths. Because, I mean, how, I mean, fuck, I'm, I'm practically married to, um, the, like, a big titty goth girlfriend. <laughs> as, <laughs> or at least is like, what she's, that's exactly what she calls it. I, I, I'm totally taking words out of her mouth. Hey, you know, <laughs> there's all this talk about big titty goth girlfriends. But I don't ever see any talk about the big titty goth boyfriends. What the hell? I know, right? Well, I mean, I'm not that big. I mean, I'm probably, like, maybe a B-cup at most. <laughs> so, I need some love for the heavyset goth men out there. Come on now. We need love, too. Oh, my God. Well, you know what? I guess in that case, because we're going to see him later, we can always just fucking visit Stephen Fry. I know he'll definitely appreciate us. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What an amazing we... talent. Ah, oh, so good, dude. But, yeah. Um, if only as he far as... with Hugh Laurie again. Oh, I know, right? If only, dude. But whatever. Um, God, it would have been amazing if Hugh Laurie had, like, a cameo in this movie. <laughs> just like, you know, just like, hey, look, I'll do, the, like, Stephen Fry's like, look, I'll do this movie, but if uh, you, if you, if I must, uh, my good friend Hugh must make an appearance. And if he can, <laughs> he would love to play the piano for you because he is such <laughs> a wonderful human. As a matter of fact, you know what, what, you remember the skit that happens later in the movie with, you know, like the fake Adam Sutler and whatnot, and, you know, V, like, yeah. it turns into a, like, they had a band in the background, and there was a <laughs> piano. Why wasn't Hugh Laurie in that? <laughs> you sons of bitches. <laughs> I honestly don't know what he was doing at this time, so I can't. He was probably slapping people left and right on House at that point, because this is 06, 07. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I loved House, but I just don't remember the, the heyday of when it was out. So I'm pretty sure it was around that, because I know, like, the real heyday was like 2004 to 2006. So okay, this so, is yeah. right about in there. Um, so I guess that's why he was just, you know, pimp slapping yeah. doctors and ERs for to not do the movie. Right. But anyway, I, I, I should put this in there because I do have an interesting personal note about this, this movie. <clears throat> Please. The, the copy of it I own was gifted to me by a friend. Uh, he took me out and got me drunk one night because I was feeling rather offended because a good friend from high school had decided not to invite me to her wedding. Oh, and lame. literally like all of our other, like the other members of our friend group were at that wedding. So my buddy and his cousin like took me out and got me wasted. And you know, it, it was just a good fun time out with my friends. And then like literally like that night before I was passing out from being drunk, he's like, Hey, I know you don't have a copy of this yet. And just hands me a copy of V for Vendetta. Oh, and I was like, well, how about Thank that? you." Like, I appreciate that. That that was very nice. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, I had a similar experience, but in reverse and with the book. I okay. had lent it to uh, basically it's it's basically my not sister, my pseudo adopted sister, because 
Uh, she was best friends with my younger my younger sister, and she was mm-hmm. constantly hanging around. And my mom pe- practically like, oh yeah, she, I, I basically adopted her. She, she <laughs> called her mom all the time anyway. So, but she had never read V for Vendetta, and she was like, oh well, I've got a copy. Uh, gave it to her, and never got it back ever. <laughs> um, been there, been there. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. Get another copy because that went away. <laughs> Yep, yep. Uh, I wound up getting another copy. Nice and cheap, too. I think I got it, like, you know, I got, like, three, four dollars off it, because literally you can pick up a copy in any bookstore these days. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a staple. Um, But, uh, yeah. The tragedy is always, though, like, if you give a copy away, and it was, like, the copy you first read, and then the edition changes or something, so the cover's different. And you're yep. desperate to still have a, like that version. It's like... Oh, too totally. That's that's why I rarely will <clears throat> give out my original copy of Watchmen because it's like the actual printing that it's supposed to be, and not like uh, the reprints that they've been doing lately, where it's just the the splash of blood against the yellow. Mm. Like it doesn't have the name Watchmen on the side, like it's supposed to. Damn it. <laughs> um, but yeah uh, no i got the pre- it's pretty much the exact same edition that uh i originally yeah. got so i'm happy because there really haven't been like a whole lot of no crazy... i mean that that cover's so iconic and it co- and it does it so well that it's like you don't really need to do any variations thereof exactly although i if i had a little bit more money at the time i think i would have actually gotten the edition that comes with the Guy Fox mask. Because, you know, like, then I could, you know... Uh, we do well, not forgive. Actually, we do not forget. Exactly. Well, I mean, you know, well, I'm also kind of low-key glad that I probably didn't, because, let's be honest, if I did have me a Guy Fox mask, I probably would have taken it to the streets and, like, earlier this summer. Just, like... just And also sporting a, a British accent to kind of hide myself a little bit further. <laughs> I might have to actually get like the hat and the cape and you know, maybe not the knives because I don't want to get fucking shot. Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the danger though is if you're the only guy in the guy fox mask, you're really easy to identify because you're the guy in the guy fox mask. Yeah, that's. I probably should have. Maybe I should just be like, uh, go to an anonymous sort of like uh, rally or whatever. Do they still uh, have those? Well, uh, I mean, it, look, if we're gonna get into this kind of thing you got to be aware of what kind of protest you're going to. If you're all blacking out, great. But if you black out and nobody else is blacking out, then guess what? You're the guy in all black, and you're really easy to identify by the cops. The point Kids, is you have to no- know what kind of protest you're going to because you need to dress to blend in so that you can't be singled out so that they can't come after you. Got to keep yourself Kids. out of the pig pen. <laughs> Kids, you're listening. You, when you go to a protest, make sure you're dressed appropriately. This is, this Leave is very yourself important. Leave home. Have all the important phone numbers you need written down, and make sure you got an exit plan. Always have good protesting etiquette. Always. <laughs> and of course, we're, of course, we're going over protest etiquette for a fucking movie like V for Vendetta. <laughs> and it, it, even more, more so is that it's you know fucking. Not only is it uh, twenty two. Well, okay, okay, so that's the another thing that uh, this movie has always been like up in the air about. Because, uh, you know, you've seen lots of internet shit going around, like on Facebook and Twitter and whatnot, about how uh, this movie's supposed to take place in 2020. Hmm. But apparently it does... Well, because there's, like, a lot of conflicting things, because I uh, rewatched the movie, and apparently it never actually says what year it is. 
But according to Wikipedia, it says it's uh, supposed to take place in 2027. In some other articles and other sources, it's supposed to take place in 2020. In others, it's never, it's like totally ambiguous. So I don't know. But the point is, I think what, I think what happened is that it's supposed to take place in the late 2020s. And, you know, like articles like Wikipedia or IMDb or whatever, they just picked 2027 as that year. And then the media saw that and said, oh, it's it takes place in the 2020s. And they just kind of very, you know, audaciously dropped the S to be like, oh, my God, they totally are. They, they, they predicted. And, uh, ah, just <laughs> so. <laughs> but you know weirdly enough here uh, this does seem very appropriate given our current situation here in the states doesn't it <laughs> yeah yeah uh and it's although you know what's really strange is like uh you know because we we all know that alan moore just hates every film adaptation that ever of his work that ever comes out but he was particularly furious about this one although there was a statement that kind of uh got me interested and it was that he's he was really hurt by the fact that it goes from like this uh what initially what he wrote is that it's supposed to be fascism and anarchy anarchism clashing where it just be kind of where and they kind of turned it into this you know american neoconservatism versus an american neoliberalism uh, liberalism excuse me i can't talk um and um and he was like you know and he actually was like you fucking cowards why didn't you just if you wanted to do a parallel of my like take my story and use it as a parallel to the current bush then current bush uh, cons, uh administration just fucking said it in america right and that got me thinking like huh I think the only reason why they didn't set it in America is because it might have been too on the nose. And <laughs> plus, you know, fans of the original comic would be like, why isn't it set in... Because you know how the fucking Brits are. Like, why oh, yeah. are these wankers... It's it's like... Because, you know, it was kind of like what Spielberg was doing with... Uh, or thinking about doing when he was attached to do Harry Potter in, like, the late 90s. He wanted to totally bring Harry Potter to America. Like, have it be an American kid and, you know... Um, all the other producers, including J.K. Rowling, were really adamant that it had to be British. Um, so, yeah, it was. It's, I, I, it, but I, because I can kind of see where they're going with that, because they want to appease the fans of the novel, but at the same time, they want to tell their own story. Right, you know? and you know the the novel works very well. I mean, like in, in you know V for Vendetta, the the graphic novel. Yeah. Um, it is so British, like it the story it tells i mean yes it's fascist and all this kind of stuff uh you know fascism anarchism blah 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 but when you look at you know because obviously it was more writing it and the underlying humor and um just the, a lot of the way the the story is is framed and stuff like that it just it does feel very much like a british piece of work mm -hmm. um even if you know even being you know fantastical and all, all this kind of sense so uh yeah you can definitely take like you know that basic archetype story and translate it to another country but if you're going to do that do that 
Because, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's uh, probably the, the best description I've ever heard of Moore's work. It's not that he does anything... Um, it's not that he tells stories that are inherently original. He finds original ways to tell the oldest stories. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, he's always uh, talked about how literally, like, there were there's a shit ton of things that were... Uh, inspired by it you know all the dystopian novels like orwell and hugsley robin hood uh the prisoner dick turpin british second world war films the shadow all like all these things were kind of like you know they've all been told before he just tries to find original way ways to tell them yeah yeah exactly but um yeah, and I'm trying to think because I, I again I I, uh, I watched this movie on the heels of Watchmen as well because I'd found out about the movies first. Like the first exposure that I ever had to Watchmen was the fucking trailer for, uh, for the Dark Knight. Mm. I was like, "What the hell is this?" Because you know it had that it actually had like one of the cooler trailers with that haunting Smashing Pumpkins song. Um, and I was yeah. like, what the hell is this? And I found out it was a novel, and then I saw the movie, and uh, the, the Watchmen movie, and then I was like, what, what the hell was that? Oh, wait, no. I read the book first, because was, I was still waiting for it to come out. And I was like, what the hell did I just read? And then I watched the movie, and I'm like, oh! And then I went back to read the novel, and I'm like, oh! And, you know, like, it just started to pour, like, all the ideas and all the poetry just finally made sense. Because, you know, it's it's one of those things, sort of like I had with Blade Runner, is I was like, I don't know what the fuck I just watched. But as soon as that Tears in the Rain speech came on, I was I was like, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I had a very different experience with Watchmen than you did. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, because I, 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 I had to, I, that was in high school at the time, because I was... Circa well, yeah, 2009. Uh, so, and then after after reading Watchmen, I was like, oh, what the hell else did he do? And that's when I found yeah, V for see, Vendetta. I mean, with I grew up reading comics. Like, I started being a comic book collector at eight years old. So yeah, when, yeah. when I got into Watchmen, you know, when I was a teenager, and it was like, oh, look, like, this subverts the, the whole superhero tropes. Like, I loved it. I loved everything about it. And I loved the fact that here were these people trying to be heroes who were, by and large, with only an exception here or there, ineffectual and sucky at it. It's like, yeah. yeah, this is what the reality of what, you know, these kind of people actually trying to do this would be. And I love that. And then the movie came out, and I'm just like, yeah, but no. Like, you're showing them like they're badasses, and they're just not. Like, that's not the point. <laughs> Like, yeah, dude, that's it's like there was a real like swing and a miss moment at a, a lot of times watching the watch the movie. I'm like, no, like, no. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 really frustrating with movies like these like there because, you know, both this adaptation and the Watchmen adaptation are br- like when you actually look at them, they're actually kind of brilliant and they do some really interesting things. But at the same time, when you look at the uh, the, the the when they're uh, with their novel um, uh, co- contemporaries, it's just like, wait, wh- did you kind of miss the point here? Like, what? What? It's, it's well, right. Because it, it's it, like it, it's it's like if you watch this movie or if you watch Watchmen with, and that's the only form those stories existed in. 
okay, they're they're fine. They're they're quite good. But that's the issue. You when you compare them to the source material and the source material is brilliant as it is, it's just like ouch. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, uh, it's, maybe it's, we it's, should it's... actually just get to this cuz we're 20 minutes in and this seems yeah. like the kind of discussion we should be having post movie, not pre movie. Very true. Uh, well, I, I just want to say that, you know, like, because uh, it's it's frustrating because these uh, the the works are so brilliant and they're not quite going up to where we would like them to be as a film adaptation. And we would probably be OK if the movie was like really shitty and bad. I'm talking like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen bad. You know, that movie gets a pass for a lot of us because it's so fucking terrible but these movies like watchmen and v for vendetta th these film adaptations there are talented people here and there are talented things that they yeah. are trying to do but because of that because it's so talenting and they can't nail the source material it, even in spirit is frustrating isn't it yes oh yes that's that's that that's uh, yeah it's it's a weird thing but you know what i'm okay with them changing shit around and especially for the sake of this movie because you know at the end of the day you know who gives a shit if it's different than the book because i always <laughs> yeah all the fucking guy fox wear man guys exactly just fuck you like but um but no uh <laughs> Like, because uh, what I'm trying to get at is, because a movie adaptation should never be, you know, um, the book directed by so-and-so. It should be <laughs> the director's version or the director's vision of the book, you know? I, I To an extent, I agree with that, but it, I, I don't know. Like, at what point are, so, are changes made to an extent where it's like, well, that's just so far off. That what it becomes it, its own animal. Exactly. And it's like, I, well, don't I, mean, care if I, you, I don't care if you want to do, like, based on, but then you call it something different. Like, when you're rolling out with the same name as the source material, like, yeah, you are instantly putting an expectation in your head. And if you change it to a massive extent, I think it's a whole different creature. If you call it something else, and then in the credits, it's like, based on the, you know, novel by blah, blah, blah. Like, that's a different thing. But like when you're yeah. dropping that same name, you've instantly put an expectation out there. And I don't think you can be mad when people are like, dude, you messed that up. It's like, you yeah. put yeah. that expectation out there. It, I get, honestly, it comes down to the whole thing is that, you know, if you're going to change things, do it very methodically. Cause like, you know, one of the most fa famous changes that, uh, were, uh, were from two Stanley Kubrick movies, Clockwork Orange and The Shining. Mm -hmm. You know, with Clockwork Orange, Alex, you know, so, you know, in his head, subverts back to his old violent ways. But in the novel, he's totally cured. You know, um, no, really, yeah, I could have so, sworn I remember. No, uh, you may have only read the American version of the novel, which actually left out the last chapter from the actual original novel. Mother. He so he, he goes back to that old life, but in like, and he's leading a crew, but even as he's leading the crew, he can kind of tell he's outgrown it and that like, huh. he's going to be moving on from it. 
So it's like he reverts, but there's that awareness that he has grown up and this isn't really for him anymore and he's going to be moving on. But that, so yeah, so like, trust me, I am a big fan of Clockwork Orange and that last chapter is so important. Well, the more you know, am I right? Because it's really Um, like, that's kind of the moral of it. Like, yeah, youth and teenagers are going to go do dumb, violent shit and they will grow out of it for the most part. Or they'll become police officers and be violent assholes forever. That's literally what's in the book. Oh boy! Well, now see, now we got to do a Clockwork Orange later on. <laughs> so, <laughs> which will be no, very but, interesting. But I, I understand where you're coming from. Like, there's a lot of things where it's like, oh wait, like this doesn't necessarily match up. And then you have issues like this where it's like, oh wait, the source material wasn't released the same way in two countries. That's a whole yeah. different creature. Exactly. Yeah, totally. I didn't even know that prior to this. This is total news to me. Um, but yeah, it's just like, cause, uh, you know, I always think of like apocalypse now is like the key example for something like that, you know, based off of heart of darkness by Joseph Conrad, mm-hmm. but it's totally its own animal. Right. You know, um, and that, that's my whole point. Call it something else. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you know, we get really bitchy about uh, things like uh, fucking uh, World War Z with fucking Brad Pitt had nothing to do with the to- the movie except the title. And I was I'm like, look, guys, you can make this movie fine. The script's fine. It's an okay movie at the end of the day. Just fucking don't call it World War Z. Call exactly. It like, so I guess, you know, in an alternate universe, maybe it would have been cool if the Wachowskis just took the novel, wrote their own thing, and just said, based it by, and decided to, you know, well, set it in America. And I have to wonder, though, if by that point in time, uh, because... Uh, what has become the rule in Hollywood because of feedback from market research is that the safest bet is to do something uh, within an already established brand. Yeah. So like yeah. sequels are the are like make the most money because it's something like or, or have the highest likelihood of being successful because it's already a brand people are familiar with and established with that they want to go back to. Which oh yeah, is one totally. of the reasons you see so many reboots and sequels these days, because market research has just shown that like that is your highest percentage possibility for success. Oh yeah, dude, and totally. So, like right, the but whole like, right, but I don't think that attitude was in place or that research had been done at the time for like V for Vendetta, but I think that was probably pervasive by the time you get World War Z. Yeah, it really was because like, uh, you know, that's I mean they've been granted they've been doing that kind of technique for ages like with books you know like based on this really popular bestseller and whatnot now it's just become even more weaponized um but and that's why i always want to debunk the fact that people there are more original films being made now than ever before the problem is you don't ever hear about them because they don't have the same kind of billions of dollars they're, they're going in marketing. Straight, they're going straight to Netflix or straight to Hulu or straight to Amazon. They're not getting your theatrical releases, and Hell, so you're missing some of it. Them are, some of them are literally are only seen at festivals, and then they're gone. Yeah. Literally, that's the case. Like, um, So there are more original things going around. We just never see them because they don't have the marketing tools and they don't well, have but the most approval of, those, of big but, studios. But at the same time, most of the stuff that goes through, um, you know, festivals and things like that, particularly if they're at one of the bigger festivals, 
they will get picked up by a streaming service. There yeah. is so much good stuff out there. There's more than you can ever watch, but I definitely encourage people get out there and look. If, if you don't yes. have your eyes open and you're not looking around, I mean, heck, if you have an actor or actress you like, go look up their IMDb and see what stuff they're doing. Chances mm-hmm. are they've done stuff you've never heard of, but that's on a streaming service you have. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we in college, we used to have this thing uh, at our university film organization meetings where we're like, uh, Netflix, uh, untouched Netflix gems, which is really funny because, you know, several years, last year, they made a movie called Uncut Gems, and it's pretty fucking good. <laughs> uh, oh, you're giving me a face? You didn't like the movie? Uh, that is a great character study. Uh, you know, Adam Sandler delivers a great performance, but if I just wanted to watch a train wreck human being for two hours, I there's better movies. I guess. I just, uh, it, for me, it's one of those movies that I'm glad I watched once, but probably never going to watch again because it is stress-inducing. <laughs> uh, I mean, a little bit. Like, uh, look, I, I, I appreciate the performance, but I'm always waiting for you know, the Adam Sandler of Punch Drunk Love and Spanglish and Rain Over Me to come out swinging again. And while he did a really good job with Uncut Gems in his performance, it's like, I want that level of depth and and rawness that I've seen him do in those other films. And this was really just like, hey, I just want to be an asshole for two hours. Well, we'll see. I mean, he always did joke that if he didn't get the Oscar for that movie, he'd just be doing, you know, gross-out comedies for the rest of his life or that are just tax write-offs. But anyway. Hey, I mean, I got no problem with somebody making a sandbox and playing in it. I don't have any disrespect for him, but it's like I have seen him do some amazing work. And after oh, seeing yeah. that amazing work, I mean, man, I, I, I still got to say, how different would the world have been had he played Donnie Donowitz? Oh, man, that would have been different. Probably yep. a better world. Yeah, so it's like... <laughs> well, we don't get fucking Jack right, and Jill. Let's get off of Adam Sandler. <laughs> yes, please. Let's let's get right on this movie, because holy shit, this is, this is probably a record for the, the longest pre, pre-talk for the, for the movie. Yeah. So, that said, hopefully, like, we didn't turn off too many listeners, like, you know, the all five of them. We'll do our best there. to turn you on. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, you guys got the movie. You got it on streaming. Got the DVD. We got it. We got it on Blu-ray right now. So press and play in three, two, one, go. And there it is. Warner Brothers logo coming up in black and white. Um. <clears throat> but yeah, oh man, I like yeah, that it's so. not only black and white but grainy. Yeah, they also got like an old film, filmy look to it, which interesting choice. I don't know how how that really fits into it though, considering it's not exactly. Can, can, can we just talk about like all the amazing things that came out of Vertigo? Yeah, yeah, like Vertigo is kind of low key DC's uh, best sub publishing unit. It was just like. Hey, remember when like DC actually made great work under Vertigo? That was awesome. Hmm. Yeah. Speaking of remembering, remember, remember the fifth of November. Oh, right away. And I do. It's really interesting that they start it immediately with the uh, the gunpowder plot. 
because I don't know how familiar you are with the history with it. You're probably more familiar with it than I am, actually, because you're familiar. way into history. I mean, granted, I am, too, although my British, especially, like, you know, 15th century Britain is, uh, it's a, my history is a little uh, rusty. Although, you know what's also really interesting is this movie actually was... They tried really fucking hard to release this movie on the 400th anniversary of Guy Fawkes Night. <laughs> they wanted to release this on November the 5th, 2005. Uh, so 400 years prior, 1605, November the 5th, yeah. is when uh, Guy Fawkes was ca- captured. Um, but unfortunately, it just ran a little long in terms of post-production and visual effects. So yeah. they released it. They, re- they, I believe, they released it uh, in 2006 for uh, St. Patrick's Day. So I guess that's cool. <laughs> well, I mean, nobody hates the British like the Irish. That is very true. <laughs> and right now we get our flaming title V. Which is actually kind of cool. And with it, it justification, really mind you. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, check it out. Fox News. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's crazy because, like, uh, you know, especially, you know, in the later nowadays, and especially during the current administration and whatnot, um, it, well, at least for now. I mean, we're, we're recording this uh, uh, in late October, uh, and this is after the presidential debates that we've just We're not what going a... to have a result from the election for any time yeah. when this gets published. So. Exactly. So we have no idea what the hell is happening, is going to happen to where we are in this country. We're still in the weird uh, darkness, v- d- dark veil of uncertainty still. But, uh, yeah, in a lot of recent years, like, people have looked at this and, like, uh, this film and they're like did you explicitly try to characterize BTN or the British television network as Fox, Fox News and like not really I mean you know there's like a whole bunch of biased news networks <laughs> out there that are owned by the news corporations like I mean I guess now you I, could just I do love this I love the sequence though of like each of them getting ready to the background of this insane vitriol Oh, I know. Yeah, dude. Vitrol. I love... Dude, right on being the... uh, Using your... The proper verbiage. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are watching a movie set in Britain. Yes. If this is not the time to be... uh, um, Shall we say... mm, Oh, what what is the best word for... Is this not the time to be ostentatious? I don't know what is. Yes, exactly. But I do like the fact that you point that out, that they're both, like, getting ready in parallel. That's exactly what they did in the book. So I can imagine you, you know, sitting there in the theater for the first time, like, oh, right on. We're off to a really good start. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, one of the, this movie does a fairly decent job of, of keeping with the spirit of the book for about, like, half of it. And then yeah. it just takes a left turn. But, like, so when I was first watching, I was like, all right. Now I'm actually curious when is, or you know we can get there when we get there but let me know when that turning point is because I'm actually really curious as to where you're like oh okay that's yeah. where we're going um but yeah now, now this is a classic setup you know little girl and uh, you know young girl pretty girl in an alleyway 
getting uh, roughed up by a bunch of uh, big dudes. And then all of a sudden, out of the darkness, some dude just pops in to save her. Like, I actually like how they, you know, keep that comic book kind of trope. Like, it's actually kind of I... a smart way to ease the reader and the watcher into the, the film and the book. I mean, I, I agree to an extent. However, you know, all, already, as much as I liked how this started, um, they already cleaned up her character some. Because, you know, in the book, she was out trying to prostitute. Oh, yeah, totally. And they make it I mean, here they kind of... That, well, no, she's out going for a date. So it's like, yes, okay, it's still of a illicit sexual nature, kind of. But, you know, changing her from a lady of the night yeah and here we here we go yeah right here v himself appears although i'm not entirely sure if it's hugo weaving or if it's the original actor james purefoy yeah uh, there's a couple points where i know uh where it's james but i this one i'm not sure about it's really hard to tell just because they're really good at hiding it and making it flow as one performance by Hugo Weaving. Yeah. I'm actually kind of amazed that, you know, Hugo Weaving himself was doing a lot of this himself and he just didn't dub and post. Mm -hmm. And his voice is invigorating in this. Oh, dude. Mm -hmm. Fuck. Yeah. Punch and stab those not nazis <laughs> they're basically nazis i'm saying i mean they do totally take like a lot of cues from hitler's third reich to to oh, yeah. um present norse fire in this presentation and of course i love the this introduction here the because uh, i'm a fan of alliteration in both poetry and writing <laughs> so this kind of alliteration is just like ear porn to me. <laughs> and you know what's really strange? I actually remember re watching this movie because, like I said, I watched this movie for the first time and then read the novel later. I was actually a little disappointed that this scene, this this speech here, was not in the novel. This feels like the most <laughs> Alan Moore thing to be in this movie that isn't in the original novel. <laughs> the only verdict is vengeance, a vendetta. Oh, good shit, man. I also love how he even gets, like, kind of giddy at his own alliteration. <laughs> and only once in that entire thing does he ever use the word very once. <laughs> That just shows you how well-versed he is and uh, what a good writer he would be. Mm. Yeah, it's no coincidence that her name is Evie. Not just because, <laughs> you know, it was written as that. But I also really love the the whole parallel that, you know, there's the Adam and Eve thing being tempted by the devil that's kind of <laughs> present in the original novel because uh, in the novel, you know, it's not Adam Suttler because they wanted, like, you know, something that sounded like Hitler. Um, it's Adam Susan. So, uh, you know, there's this whole Adam and Eve thing 
going yep. on, which I thought was really cool. Didn't really that didn't really you know hit me though after reading it the first time. You know, as a lot of Alan Moore stuff tends right. to. Because, you know, half the time when you read, like, From Hell or the like, any of his work, just about any of his novels, it's like, what the fuck did I just read? And then, you <laughs> you know, you process it and you read up on it and you read it again and you're like, oh, oh, okay. Right. Although I'm still trying to decipher From Hell. <laughs> it's, 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 it's weird. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> so another really cool little trivia thing that I found out is, uh, you know, the, the, the old Bailey that's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, because the, they made all the, the, you know, the British uh, uh, landmarks and monuments and whatnot for government and whatnot. They made those all in sculpture to blow them up. Mm-hmm. But they specifically had uh, an alteration that I thought was really fascinating. And I wish they photographed it better but if you look really closely lady justice on top of the old bailey is not blindfolded hmm. yeah because you know for for those of you out there that don't quite know like justice is supposed to be blind therefore lady justice is always uh blindfolded in her statues so she's unprejudiced and unbiased but here no blindfold and that says a lot and of course the crescendo. Ah, oh, good shit. <laughs> I still thought it. Although I, uh, I know that they had to change this up because I remember in the novel that he actually blew up Big Ben, right, right there in the get go, and they're like. Uh, American is no America. We kind of associate like the the big, the big finale should be you know blowing up Parliament and Big Ben, like we shouldn't yeah. blow that up. We, we can't blow that up too early. We got to save that for the finale, and then right away we also got dude fucking John Hurt as <laughs> Sutler, uh, which is so cool because I don't know if you're like you drew this comparison, but John Hurt specifically took the role because you know. He played Winston Smith in 1984. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so now he's big brother. He gets to be the villain instead of being oppressed and have his pussy taken away. Interestingly, do you know that John Hurt has a special distinction in cinema? Oh? He is. He currently is the world record holder for the actor who has uh, died on film the most. You're kidding! Mm-hmm. He outdoes wow. Sean Bean by about 40 deaths. I was about to say, suck it, Sean Bean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. He, he's died on TV and movies a lot. <laughs> wow. Someone meme that shit. <laughs> so, really, you know what? On, Justin, uh, you're probably already going to be seeing this on the contract facebook page but i'm gonna make a meme specifically for that so you'll probably already see it by this meeting uh but uh if you are on the contract podcast facebook page you'll not only give that meme a like but also like the page please we, we need more supporters here <laughs> i don't want to get down like right on my knees like give us give us a, we want you to like us we really want you to like us <laughs> 
Oh, uh, but I do love the the set design here, dude. Like this is this is like the um a much darker version of uh uh fucking Doctor Strange Love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Loving it. Um and of course I love how he is on this giant screen in an uncomfortably close close up. Like is he like just straight up leaning into whatever camera he's using to address his like little mini cabinet? Oh yeah, I love that line. It's it's not our job to fabricate the news. That's the government's job. Boy. Boy, does that 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 it's it I, I dream of a day when movies like this become hilariously irrelevant. <laughs> you know? Like, uh. hilariously so. Hopefully, it probably won't be one in our lifetime, but I'd like to see at least a time where at least, you know, at least to the, to the general-ish kind of public where this stuff feels pretty dated and kind of dumb. But I doubt it considering yeah. on the paths we are then we have uh um fucking oh god what i because i've seen this actor in so many other things because as you know in england there are only like 50 british actors <laughs> <laughs> so i know I've, you've you know you've seen pretty much every one of them in there um oh god what god, i'm trying to think where have i seen him uh Oh man, I don't. I don't think I. Rem I've seen him in other shit. It's it's driving me nuts. That's it, Stephen Ray. That's it. <clears throat> um, yeah, he was in an Interview with a Vampire. Um, but I, I've seen him in several other, you know, British television shows. I'm pretty sure he made an appearance on Doctor Who at some point. Um, I mean, who hasn't? Exactly, <laughs> if you're a British actor. Exactly, totally. If you if you if you've been on uh, fucking Doctor Who, then you're definitely one of the chief British actors, <laughs> or at least you can distinguish yourself as such. <laughs> I want to know what more about that. Like, what the hell is that? Because you know, honestly, that feels like a, a Wachowski sort of thing <laughs> that they would have done. Like, that's something you would have seen, you know, as, like, a fake TV show in The Matrix or something. Yeah, I mean. Oh, yeah. The boxes of uh, costumes. Mm -hmm. So, that's another huge... Because, like, you know, there are some plot holes, and this this is definitely one of them. Where Because apparently there were, like, three or four full train cars that were being shipped to London. Where did V get the finances or the resources to get such an order? And if so, who did he order it from? I mean, it, it, in the books, that would obviously make more sense, but that's an entire kind of subplot that they left out here. Yeah, there's a lot of subplots that they left out. Because, I mean, to, to clarify for people, uh, in the books, you basically find out that the head of the government is using a massive computer to control Known as the fate. government. Yeah, and uh, and V has also taken control of it. So when you have Speak when you have devil. control of the computer that runs the entire government, well, you can take any resources you want. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that that makes a lot more sense when you. But they don't ever lens. put that in this movie, so it's just like, oh, those are some big questions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because the whole fake computer is left completely out, which I am kind of sad at because it's a fucked up, makes a fucked up relationship between V and Adam, Adam Susan. Also, is that concrete that he's like, you know, putting the uh, the, the locks? Where does he get his resources? Where's his funding? Because he, because uh, uh, I I remember this movie. He wa he pretty much runs out of a fire naked and burned where did he get all this shit where did he get the money where did he get the resources look i know he's smart and all i get that but that's so but you know what honestly like at the end of the day this movie actually has an entertaining and interesting narrative and has enough support where i can forgive shit like this i don't know how that how you feel about that though well i mean as i said it's, i think it's just an adaptation issue as opposed to anything else like Okay, it's mm -hmm. a plot hole, but it's a plot hole that doesn't come off as one in the books. So yeah, yeah. I guess that's the the benefit of having you know supplemental material. What the fuck is that? That looked so Doctor Who ish. I know, right? And now we have the uh, this wonderful speech. You know, actually, this was the speech where you know where you can oh right there. I also love the the pictures of adam in the background very big brother ish and also mm -hmm. kind of a touch of like north korea you know where they have oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, pictures yeah, of their sure. glorious leader oh man um, mini discs wow <laughs> i know right and the whole strength through unity unity through faith very very orwellian you know what what is it uh, wars peace freedom is slavery ignorance is uh, ignorance is strength But honestly, I'm not going to lie. If someone decided to, like, just, you know, hijack the debates and play this message. Oh, yeah. I'm here. For, I'm here for them. Right. I'm, I'm here for them because whether we like it or not, we're on the brink of a second American revolution. And if we don't act now, we, we can either choose to continue, uh, like, j just continue where we're where, what we are, or we better uh, tear down what's to come before it even begins and start over because well i mean that's just american principle if the old government yeah. ain't working tear it down and start a new one and i mean this is so true though it's like words retain their power it's, yes i mean it's one of the reasons that you have you know with uh, oppressive governments burn and ban books because mm. words are powerful yes they are that's actually why another reason why i've always respected uh, james lipton of uh, inside mm. the actor studio passed away very earlier uh, this year. I was real sad about that, but um, he he always uh, had the uh, the the uh, questionnaire at the end of his shows, uh, like what is your favorite word, um, and he always and he was actually asked those set of questions, and he uh, was like what 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 turns you on, what inspires you or excites you, and his answer was words, <laughs> and I'm like that's so that's awesome. God, I, I, man, I, I miss that gentleman. He was such a good guy. Indeed. 
I will say, I do love, even when it comes to like some of the extras and minor characters, they did a really good job with oh, yeah, character dude. design and costuming in this movie. It's like they, they create really memorable looks, even for minor characters who, you know, aren't aren't a main focus. Absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, this is where, you know, your little bit characters or your uh, insert actors really have to nail their point because they only get so much screen time to really give you a sense of who they are because that's the brilliant thing about the casting and the performances here is that you can look at these people here and just by looking at their faces for just a couple of seconds you know exactly who they are and what they're about yeah i also love the this little girl with the heavy glasses oh yeah Also, I mean, man, what a time when this movie came out when people still had the conceptual um, capacity to think that people would be on board for a year-long plan. I know, right? God, it's like, man, not... with what the internet's done to, to culture and everything else, like I can't imagine anyone being like, let's wait a year and have this happen. It's like, you, you better be saying a week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean... Like just and uh, it, well, it's also happened like as a product of also the sensationalism of news and uh, and how it's completely tr been transformed by social media because like nothing is fucking faster than Facebook, you know. Yeah. Um. So in that sense, it's like we we've gotten so accustomed to the speed that you're totally right. I mean, nowadays, you remember when like. You know, uh, when Trump was getting impeached, la like, roughly about a year ago. That feels like five years ago at this point. Right. Just at the base of the speed. But I do love the this little heist thing here where he dressed all of them, uh, all of them up in masks. <laughs> well, I mean, oh, that, that's shit. always a bright way. If everyone looks the same, how are you going to figure out who the villain is? Exactly. Of course, you would have thought that they would have immediately just start flipping their masks off and immediately, you know, checking everyone. But it's okay because it gets for a really fucking cool reveal coming up here. <laughs> for real, dude. Get a bomb squad on this. Why didn't they have a bomb squad like already on the premises? I mean, if there's a terrorist organization that's threatening, like, a news corporation, they'll have a bomb squad ready in place just in case. But this is cool. Yeah, bitches. <laughs> and I do love the last bit right here. We're just up to the face. And then he spits blood. Oh, so good. That's some good blocking right there. <laughs> that feels like a Wachowski. Like, that feels... Because like, the Wachowskis did not direct this. That's a big misconception. They just wrote and produced it. Um, this was directed by James uh, Mateague, McTeague. Right, um, but there, there's always that thing where it's like... It depends how much, you know, control the producers have. Because sometimes they do exercise a high, high level of creative control. <laughs> Poltergeist. <clears throat> <laughs> Sorry, had a little something in my throat there 
And you know, this also just, I, I just remember this, um, something that people pointed out for when The Mandalorian came out, um, that it, they were really remarking how this is the first, one of the major uh, uh, series or television, or not, not just television, but also in film, where the protagonist, you never see his face. It's just yeah. like a helmet. And it wasn't until like I rewatched this, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This is totally like one of the more, uh, uh, more prolific ones that predate this because you know you're directing a fucking mask. Yeah, and they, I mean, they did all these different things that they tried to do, to uh, you know, uh, they tried to modify the hair, they modified the lighting, they wanted different mm -hmm. masks for different things, but ultimately, like, look, let's just tell it through good lighting and body language to fit the mood. Yeah, and I mean, they tried doing, you know, actual live recording with a microphone in the mask, didn't work, didn't get the quality they wanted. So, literally, all of his stuff is dubbed after the fact. Yeah. Uh, and so, Which, I don't even know to what level they they had him, you know, speaking in that moment, which is just like, man, imagine trying to have to react to that if he's not even doing the lines at that time. Honestly, I think he he did anyway because you know he has to talk to yeah. inter and interact with actors and whatnot. But yeah, it's it's crazy. Like Hugo Weaving well, I mean, didn't he even need to been, be there, but, right? But at the same time, he could have been cribbing. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's like okay, like I don't have this fully memorized. We're going to be doing it in in sync anyway. So whatever. I'm just going to kind of like here's the gist of what I'm supposed to say right now. React. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, honestly, I feel like you know he really was performing all of his lines there because you know that's just your job as an actor but well yeah and um, i mean hugo does seem the type to do that i'm just saying the possibility remains and if yeah. there are any if there are any recorded bloopers thereof i want them <laughs> i know right oh dude well though i will say this it must have made the stunt team very happy because <laughs> it's so easy to swap them out um but yeah it's it's so crazy you don't even need hugo weaving in the suit to be there you just need him in you know the fucking voice box but, and... but from what i understand uh hugo was very down to do a lot of the stunty stuff for this movie oh yeah i mean well after you know the long and uh, the long training sessions that he did on the matrix oh yeah i could totally see that but i do love the uh, the production design of the shadow gallery because mm -hmm. i mean in the novel it's kind of drawn obscurely because you know the characters are really the main focus in there and whatnot. But, you know, here in film, you have to render your environments a little bit more carefully and whatnot. And so they kind of went with like a an old cellar or like a mausoleum crossed with like a gallery and whatnot. And I really dig the look. Oh, yeah. I want a base. I want a basement like this just to have my fucking art and statues. Basement? And, yeah. Whole house. Whole house. There you go. Right. <laughs> castle. Like, where's my castle? Fuck yeah, dude. Like, have, like, one of those uh, really nice ones that pop up on your Facebook feed that you just, like, <laughs> house porning over. Like, you know, abandoned castles in Ireland or Scotland or wherever. Mm -hmm. Oh, that'd be so good. Be nice to have free healthcare over there, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's the... And although I'm really interested that they went with the song that they have, you know, on the jukebox that they went with, because they explicitly say in the novel that it's supposed to be dancing in the street with Martha Vanda Martha and the Vandellas. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, why didn't you just go for that? Like, that's such a good song. 
Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be those little little kind of changes, so. I guess, but, you know, it would have been a nice little nod. And well, I guess I'm just because I'm, like, a big fan of Motown Records. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, that's I, w- I was raised on that shit. My mom, my mom's the real hardcore fan of that. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, and you also see a whole bunch of uh, really cool movie posters in the background, like old ones. Um, and of, of course, we're also gonna see eventually the uh, what was it the uh, the the shrine to uh, Valerie. <laughs> You know, I really kind of wish that they went full explicit with these uh, falling in love with Evie, because they <laughs> re- were really explicit about that, and they also kind of made it kind of an abusive relationship. Yeah. Too. Oh, a hundred percent. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I'm kind of because they totally rework V in this movie to be a freedom fighter instead of an anarchist. Um, yeah. And, uh, oh, I also right here, we got a small glimpse of underneath the mask, and it's kind of, that's, that's fucking Anakin Skywalker right there. <laughs> like, is he With cooking him. sausage, or is he the sausage? Uh, I would hope, I, I would hope that, you know, he's just cooking sausage, because, <laughs> although he's just having, you know, eggs, eggs and toast. Very does look do- odd do- British dish right there. Yeah. Yeah, because, man, I swear, uh, 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 my, my fiance has, like, a couple friends out in the UK, particularly in uh, Scotland. Um, and, yeah, they're, she always has to ask them, like, man, why do you fucking Brits always have to be eating like you're still under siege from Germany? Well, I mean, <laughs> look... I- English breakfast is one of the weirdest world breakfast. I'm just yeah. throwing that out there. Yes, it is. This is this is probably the most normal by the numbers uh, thing. But I guess they again that, that that's that's for the American audiences. I Robin Hood it. I Robin well, Hood right, the but, butter. So, and now you're talking. Where is he getting his resources? Robin Hooding. Now you know. I guess, yeah. But man, one guy just pulling all that shit off. That. That's... Well, but the, yeah, I think how many years was he planning this? How many years do you have to do that much Robin Hooding before you have the resources in place to just pull off your game? Good point. I do want to know where he got half of his artwork, though. Although it's never really explained in the novel either, is it? No. Yeah. Well, take well for the for Alan Moore saying this movie's full of plot holes. There's one for you, Al. <laughs> Where did he get his stuff? Uh, disgr- signed disgruntled fan. <laughs> and there is the line. Yep, that's. Although it's it's interesting because you know a lot of people twist that so you know there's more equality but really when you take that statement into fruition you're like oh, there really shouldn't be fear amongst any of them they should be able to live in coexistence and in harmony well i i mean yes and no it's 
a fe- a fear may not be the right word, but it's just like the people should not be, you know, subversive to the government. The government should be sorry. The people should not be subservient to the government. The government should be subservient to the people. Yes, uh, and uh, but honestly, I think that they're trying to like make him a little bit more morally amb- ambiguous by using the words fear. Again, yeah. the power of words, everybody. <laughs> Vanity. One of my least favorite attributes of humanity. Especially the fact that he has a not only does he have a gold plated remote control, but he has like what, how many? Like five TVs inside of his bathroom. Right. I wonder if Trump I, I, does this. I just love the fact that he's like, I want one shot, just one shot. It's like, here it is, man. What do you got? Yeah. But I do but I do wonder if Trump is like this too. Like he's got TVs everywhere in his fucking bathroom and he's just, you know, talking like talking to himself and shit. <laughs> I do love that reveal though. Oh, shit. And I also love how they play into that vanity there with that little insert where he's trying to suck in his gut mm-hmm. in his uniform. <laughs> Good shit, man. I am the devil, and I'm here to do the devil's work. A <laughs> no, parable- something a lot dumber than that. <laughs> Well, a lot of parallels between that kind of shit. Um, oh, sorry, cause... I was playing off of the uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood reference. <laughs> oh, okay, right on. I do love that shot. Very obvious, but st- cool and stylized split diopter effect. Mm-hmm. Split diopter is when two things and two different planes are in focus. That's 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 a cool film term, you guys. And interestingly, Pixar started using it, which is fascinating. Yeah, I know, right? The great nerd writer. You saw that same nerd writer video essay, didn't you? <laughs> I did. Good shit, man. Although I really wish that they had played up the uh, how he takes out um, get or gets revenge on those who did him dirty um, from the the camp. Because mm-hmm. I wish they had shown him like choking him, like the mouth, uh, oh, the yeah. mouth of London, or. One of my favorites from the novel, and they kind of hint at it later on, uh, but they don't explicitly say it. But um, uh, the priest in in the novel, uh, when he uh, he actually captures him, does like a uh, the 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 uh, a sermon with him, and then feeds him a poison communion wafer. Uh huh. That's beautifully poetic. Um, and they kind of hint at it in the in in the movie here, but it's not really explicit. And I really wish that they had, you know, left that kind of poetry of death in the in the movie. But eh, I, again, whatever.
Well, he doesn't have any hairs or prints anymore. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's so that's another thing that they changed radically from the novel is that, you know, this whole thing is uh the the government's regime is based on a lie from a a virus that they created. Yeah. Whereas in the novel, there was a straight up nuclear war. <laughs> right. A Africa and Europe fucking gone and uh Britain is living in a nuclear winter basically. Uh and so they just so the people reach for literally just about anything that they could in in their crumbling U, in the crumbling UK and they just happen to pick Norse fire which happened to be a fascist regime right so yeah that's the other thing we should never be allowed to become so desperate that we reach for literally anything yeah but and yet at the same time here we are <laughs> reaching for the uh, for literally anything but trump right it's just like mm. uh we are on a slippery slope but it's okay because i've already done my civic duty and now all i have to do is wait and pray for the best and by the time that you know we're listening to this it will be totally irrelevant <laughs> You know, that's that, is it? Does the characterization of V bother you in this movie? Because I can totally see why he would. Because again, he's more of a freedom fighter here than he is as an anarchist. Because in the novel, he'll kill totally innocent people. Oh yeah, yeah. And, like, and, and yes, there's definitely a level of you know um, distaste for that. But most of his well, he'll kill innocent people. It's innocent kind of with uh, asterisks because the innocent people he kills in the novel are almost always, if I remember correctly, associated with the government. Yeah, yeah. So it's like he doesn't do things willy-nilly. It's like, okay, yes, they might die, but like they have they have stood up with the fascists. He does not care. V is, literally is the perfect embodiment of the alignment of chaotic good. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he is the fully realized version of that particular alignment, you know. So for those of you listening, like, you know, there's lawful good, there's lawful evil, there's neutral, there's true neutral, there's, you know, chaotic neutral, all these things. You can look that up. Um, but, yeah, V is truly is, it shows you the full blacks and whites, pros and cons, yin and yang of being chaotic good. Um, and uh, it, it it goes to show, like it's particularly in the novel, that to to label him uh, like either bad or good is is just too simplistic for the way oh, yeah. he's written. You know, like because he is designed to be uh, the perfect antihero, where you do not know whether he can be uh, associate, he cannot be aligned with good or bad moral or immoral well, right the, the whole you know one of the whole points of the book is to make you question whether or not the ends justify the means like yes. obviously like this government is awful and he, he is fighting against it and everyone can agree that government is awful 
but is it necessarily okay the way he you know approaches and goes about dismantling that government yes but at the same time i'm 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 a biased observer uh because i'm a big big advocate for revenge (laughs) (laughs) so it's like oh well he's taking down the government but he's also on a revenge trip and i'm like i'm here for it good do it (laughs) i'm one where it's just that i i because I'm the kind of person who thinks that if someone does have the power above, it has power, more power than others, they have a responsibility to be the lawful good in the room. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, I always make the case. Well, right, but if the people who are, you know, then have more power are then abusing that power, maybe the chaotic good is what's necessary to reestablish lawful good. Yeah, it's it's a it's a crazy it it's a crazy world out there, and it's oh, a crazy yes. world we live in. But yeah, V really is kind of designed to be the perfect, the perfectly gray character. Um, but uh, uh, it, it is weird though because in this film, he certainly strays a little bit more towards the light than he does the dark. Yes. And again, you know, this is something that I really like that they were doing here, doing these parallel events, you know, repeating bits. The filmmaking and the the writing is on point here. It's just you're like, you're kind of missing the point of the original novel that you claim to be such big fans of. Yeah. But either way, I still really like this adaptation. You and me both, sister. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is the part where she's going to, where he asks her to, for a favor to help the ne- his next murder. Uh huh. <clears throat> which brings up a very uncomfortable situation. <laughs> I remember watching that because I, I think I watched this like in high school and I was like, oh my God, that's so wrong. But then again, this I mean, was also... It's so Catholic. Yeah. This, although th- then again, this really was the, uh, the point in my life where I was really starting to question authority, where I was not just getting into Watchmen and, this, and V for Vendetta, but I was also like really into watching Oliver Stone's JFK. Hmm. Strange. Hmm. And it is really crazy because, again, he does, especially in the novel, he re- he refers himself to the devil. Like one of my favorite bits, actually. I really wish that they kept it. Um. When he goes to the priest, he actually bursts in and says, please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. (laughs) It is actually kind of crazy when you like, you know, look at the movie soundtrack and that, you know, Anarchy in the UK or God Save the Queen 
or sympathy for the devil is not among there. However, right. it does close with the Rolling Stones with, uh, um, oh, what was it? Uh, oh, God. Because well, I'm, 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 I hear the tune in my head. Everybody's. Uh, what was it? I'm going to Oh, my God. I'm going to kill myself. I should know this. So, uh, Street Fighting Man. Thank you. Wow. Mm. Fucking have to look through my digital note cards. Um, but yeah, we, here we got the priest here. And this this part was just so... Because this is exactly verbatim from the novel. Where he's like, there's been a mix-up at the agency. And yeah. I'm afraid she's a bit older than usual. And that just... The, the fact that there's an agency just creates all kinds of horribly right. unethical things. Like, I love his whole, like, but that that's for your grace to decide. Like, his so, like, just deference. Yeah. This is Although, just, ugh. I know. Although, I will say this. The casting for the movie was a bit on point because Natalie Portman totally could pull off the look of a 15-year-old girl. <laughs> no, well, I'm, she uh, does, I don't... She, she's very wayfish, so... Well, yeah, because I, I remember actually seeing in, in person her Padme Amidala costume when they did like a Star Wars prop and costume mm -hmm. museum tour. And the first thing that I noticed about that particular costume is how fucking small it was. Right. Because, you know, like, I forget, she's like, she must be like five foot even or something. So she's a tiny little thing. And she's already like really skinny and petite. So, yeah, I can totally see her pulling off that, that look. Yeah. And can we also talk about that she's actually really good in this movie? Uh, I've always been uh advocate that Natalie Portman with a competent director is a great actress. Absolutely, dude. Like, um, cause you know, she's appeared in things where you're just like, Oh my God. Look, like, I, I hate to say it, but like fucking Thor. Well, like, I mean, I, I know. Look, let's be realistic. Some of, some of her, her scenes and stuff in, in Star Wars are very cringe-inducing. Well, I and then blame, you go in, I, and then you go and watch Black Swan, and you're like, "Oh my god!" Exactly, dude. Or like closer. It's like this girl yes. can knock it out of the park when given the right material and the right director. But in here, this is definitely really good. I love this that he's got a gold-plated gun in the Bible. <laughs> although the yes that's so good um although he he's discovered pretty much the same way by the the eyes and ears of london the surveillance that they have of course it's a lot less explicit here because again i really wish because again they kind of imply it like open your mouth and stick out your tongue like they imply that there's yeah. the c poison communion rifer but man i really wish someone fucking said it because it's got I, such power I in that. Find that moment really odd though, where they have like the body outline there, because usually outlines are used because they're going to move that the body's been moved. Yeah. And I was like, why is it outlined and he's still just sitting there? Like <laughs> again, that's just you know stupid, stupid movie bullshit. Again, that's why you know movies like this are so frustrating because you know <laughs> there's a lot of talent and a lot of effort and really good ideas being on display here. Right. 
And then they do shit like that, and you're like, dude, come on, man. <laughs> Standards. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's it's really frustrating. But again, at the at the end of the day, I actually really like this adaptation. It's it, yeah. it's and, it's actually pretty good. And so to be noted, at this point, it's still going along fairly well with what happened in the book. Like so far as an adaptation, much, yeah. Yeah, you're yeah. still like, all right, like it, it like a few minor changes, but overall it's heading down the right path. No fake computer or um like weird subplots with like, you know, Scottish gangs and whatnot, but so and, and you because when you like you know read the novel and you see you know all these different subplots as a film you know why they had to drop that shit and like mix it in with other elements. oh yeah like it, it just you know there's only so much time you can do um although i do hear that uh, uh apparently um british tv wants to do uh an adaptation of a television adaptation of the comic book so yeah. we'll see where that goes Maybe it'll be maybe it'll be good. Maybe it'll be different. I don't know. I don't know. We only time will tell. <clears throat> and so now we get to go into the home of Gordon. Gordon but, I mean, played man, by just Stephen Fry. Her showing up looking like that. You just gotta be like, after she's been missing for how long? Just like the the hell. Yeah, a little bit strange. But then again, I'm pretty sure Stephen Fry. And his character, mostly just Stephen Fry, has seen weirder things. Oh, gosh, yes. I'm pretty sure. I am dead certain Stephen Fry has seen way, way weirder things. Oh, what a wonderful gentleman. Um, but I do love this whole little secret thing here where he has, like, the wine cellar that goes into this. And then look at some of this propaganda shit and, like, that he's got hidden away. The Coalition of Willing to Power. That's fucking freaky. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> good shit. And then I now this bit right here. Um so they I think the screenwriters were really trying to push away from like racial purity and like, you know, the the sort of things that you would mo normally see with fascists. Mm -hmm. And they really tried to shift it str more specifically towards homosexuals and islamophobia because that was yeah. really big at the time because remember this came out during the bush administration so this well is like i'm i yeah i'm it, it's strange that you mentioned that i i actually had an incident last night of um religious intolerance that kind of threw me for a loop and so seeing this with the, the quran there and that's a, well i just uh somebody i know was advocating for basically uh the terrorists and put up anti uh macron stuff online uh, and i was just like you know i thought you were a really awesome guy but apparently like nope you justify violence in the name of your religion so now we're not and cool. blocked yeah so i was just like ooh, that got real so it's it's mm -hmm. you know you, you see it's like yeah you, you, you don't want to advocate at all for you know islamophobia or fear based on religion but at the same time... It's or like sexuality. This... Well, oh, for sure, for sure. But you're in this really weird area where you're like, I don't want to persecute anyone for their religion. However, your religion does not get to trump free speech. Sorry. He, exactly. And he's he, like Stephen Fry's character, uh, you know, uh, Diedrich. Um, oh, sorry. I, he puts I it perfectly. 
Yeah. He just, I just love this scene. Like, her, she, I mean, just a, a small character, actor, supporting part, but man, her facial expression, her delivery, the instant oh, recognition. Oh, I know, right? She just it's, kills it. The look behind her eyes, man. Because, again, yeah. really, really good casting and really good directing. Like, look at her performance just in the background. Yeah. Like, it's it's that because it, it, you know they... she knows what's coming and and unlike the other like she has the awareness the it's it's just outstanding yeah i almost wish though that in that last scene they didn't cut back to her close-up and they just kept her in the background but with the same performance you know mm, yeah like i think that would have made it a little bit better a little minor nitpick um but yeah, like I was saying, is like the most beautiful mo- line I think in the movie is when he looks at the Quran and he says, You're, "Are you Muslim? I don't have to be Muslim to, you know, find the poetry moving or its images beautiful." Right, and I mean, and I think that's that's the whole thing. Like, there's there's wonderful things in every religion, whether you're studying it for belief or just for the artistic Absolutely. historical like significance. As humanity, I mean, that's how religion is born. You know. First, it's kind of rooted in history. Then it becomes... It's the Lord of the Rings uh, chronology, as I like to put it. You know, history becomes legend. Legend becomes myth. And then myth, if it sustains, and if there's like a long enough following, and it's powerful enough, myth becomes religion. You know? (laughs) You're you're not wrong. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, that's, that's just our human way of trying to process the insanity of the world and i totally totally am okay with people using religion to process things i'm just not okay with them using it in ways that tear down you know people or ideas yeah or incite violence against each other (laughs) oh absolutely because um werner herzog is always fond of saying that the universe is the universe is based in chaos and disorder and I'm thinking, well, if that's true, then if we try to, if our humanity is to attempt to find order and meaning and reason, then we are but defiant lights in the <laughs> darkness of the universe. Wow, we got really philosophical, <laughs> philosophical yes. and off point. But um, yeah, so uh, we, I mentioned, I talked about how like V needs to do more ironic deaths with the people who wronged him. This is kind of the closest that it comes. Because, you know, he uses uh, a syringe uh, yeah. to kill her. But I find it really weird that he kind of sort of forgives her. Like, there's no pain. There's no nothing. And Because I, I, maybe it's because, you know, in this version they made her very sorrowful and very uh, um, remorseful for her actions at Lark Hill. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, would the... Would, would the lead doctor of human experimentation really be that remorseful i don't yeah, know well i mean i i don't know i like i think it's it's a line and there there's always kind of that that um it's performed brilliantly though because this um, this scene is really good it's just i don't know if it's the right tone well, well i don't know i don't i don't have a problem with it and because of that let me explain yes yeah. she still has to pay for her actions Yes. Like, I don't have a problem with V doing what he does because, like, she still has to pay for the atrocities she committed. Absolutely. However, 
if you committed atrocities, became remorseful, and you know went on to try and do better things, you still have to pay for it. But I don't have a problem with him being merciful in his methods. Yeah. Because he's yeah. going to serve justice, but he's it, doing it mercifully because of what she then tried to do. Yeah, it, it makes it definitely, definitely makes sense and is really beautifully done in the context of the movie. But when you really look at the broad picture and especially what Alan Moore was trying to do, yeah, because like, I don't think any of those Nazi doctors in oh, yeah. Auschwitz had any regrets. No, like that, not <laughs> in the least. So... Uh, yeah, that fe it feels a little off-putting. And speaking of off-putting, uh, the way they punch in on John Hurt's mouth... Yeah. ...is... Mm. And I swear to God, John Hurt almost never blinks when he's... <laughs> really unnerving. But I also want to know, is he, like, looking into, like... Because he's literally looking right into a camera. Can he see them at all? Because I'm I'm curious. Because I know we you know we have Skype calls you know to record these sessions. I'm always kind of looking at you on the screen and not you into the lens. Oh yeah, yeah. it's it's weird. I guess that's honestly just a movie thing to make it more yeah coherent. Because you know as Walter Murch said. Editing and photography in motion picture really is just a dance of eyes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God. There's there she is. I guess, you know, that's really the only way they could get away with, like, sh you know, saying that this is a fascist regime. Because I forget, they never really go into the reasons for experimentation in the movie, do they? Not a whole lot. I think it might be the reason why they're... Or, actually, I think they do, because... I think they're test subjects to uh, unleash the virus on. Mm. You know? I think that's how it's tied in. I forget if that's overtly explicit. That's the reason why. Because, you know, in the books, they're like, oh, yeah, this is totally for racial purity and whatnot. This right. Is, we're totally riff riffing on the Nazi doctors. Oh, so this, this shot I thought was a really cool behind-the-scenes story. So, um, the character of V who emerges from the shadows there, that's actually Chad Stahalski, uh, Keanu Reeves' stunt double for The Matrix and director <laughs> of John Wick. But he was wearing nothing except for um, a shitload of uh, fireproof gels and, huh. a fucking, uh, and a fucking thong. Well... <laughs> <laughs> which was it which i thought was like god damn that just just saying that is such a more interesting image than the image that's puts on screen <laughs> yeah like sure. i don't want to take away from the the power of the moment of v literally being reborn from the flames or anything but it's just really fucking funny to say the director of john wick 
covered in fireproof gel, wearing <laughs> nothing but a thong. That's infinitely more funny than it should be. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, I do like what the filmmakers were doing here, where they were trying to draw parallels between V and, uh, and Gordon. You know, same Ooh. song, same breakfast, secret yeah. underground lair. They were almost trying to create a red herring, even though, like, as the, the novel readers are like, what? <laughs> yeah. What the hell? What kind? What the hell kind of flex is this? I I love the the I I've no, I didn't realize it till now because I haven't haven't watched it. But it's like, oh, an inversion stove. How awful. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do like that he you know he still uh, gives it that you know uh, dry British humor to it. I am the right. <laughs> a troll. -a um, but yeah, it, it's, it, it's a weird flex, but I, I guess it's them trying to do more, uh, thematic parallels, I guess. I don't know. Okay. So this is the moment where the inspector just goes full Charlie day in it's always <laughs> sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> Cause I see, yeah. I see these chain of events. I I don't know, and I, I will say this, like, at this point, I'm not, like, this is where it starts to get more muddled for me, like, I can't say this is where it's fully gone off the rails, mm -hmm. but it, it's definitely get, starting to get to that point where it's like, alright, like, this isn't quite, it's like, wh where the police officer is, like, this fits more with the book, but, you know, we're only an hour in, and we're just like, you know, okay, where's, uh where the plot starts to go here is just very off the rails from where the book was. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if this... No, go ahead. I, was like, I don't know if... I can't say that this is, like, the defining moment, but, like, I definitely know, like, this is starting to feel more like that. I mean, not to say that they don't keep elements in, but it's just definitely more of that, that vibe. Yeah, because Detective Finch in the novel is a lot... Everyone is pretty much ambiguously uh, in their morality in the novel. Like, yeah. uh, you know, it's like when he, t you know, um, when he mentions, like, he went to Lark Hill later on, uh, he actually, in the novel, he literally just takes a bunch of LSD, trips oh, yeah. balls to try to figure out he gets what the hell to go. He permission to take LSD and trip balls and figure it out. <laughs> yeah, because he was, like, trying to, like seep himself into uh the the uh the, the quote-unquote terrorists uh the, or whatever you want to call it. again labels to make it too simple but they were he was trying to put himself in v's shoes by re-experiencing the night uh his time at lark hill and his escape so that way he could predict where the hell he would go and of course being you know a fucking british novel it works <laughs> right <laughs> You know, actually, I, yeah, I remember um, that speech about, you know, how the government might have been responsible for one of the most devastating disasters we've had in the last couple of years. Uh, I didn't read that at the time, but I feel like that in the, you know, in terms of the writing of this movie, that was born out of the whole 9-11 was an inside job. You know? Yeah, I mean, a possibility. However, man... 
given the pandemic we're dealing with here, like, if your government was responsible for the death of 100,000 people, would you want to know? It's like, well, we know more. We we know. We know that it's actually double that. <laughs> right. As of this recording, it's it's like, what, over almost 2,200,000 people? Oh, gosh. This, this, oh, I this love sequence. This, this is so not from the book, but it's such a great little, little it, gem you know, of a moment. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, you know, it, it doesn't, it, look, it's not exactly consistent. It's nowhere in the novels. It's really stupid and silly. But for some fucking reason, it works. But I credit that a lot to Stephen Fry. Yeah. And I also love the fact that, quote, the, the, <laughs> i also love that they have like an actor that's supposed to be adam sutler in on this but right. they just got fucking john hurt <laughs> to, to play the role well right. i guess Why they, like there's, you? i guess they like have you know, john hurt john hurt can do it <laughs> well i'm just guessing you know john hurt really wanted to do it and they didn't want to have like a stand-in actor because you know it's a lot cheaper anyway for the filmmakers but i just love the idea that you know the parliament is so tightly wound that they have a doppelganger actor to play him for skits like this. Right. <laughs> Tying his shoes. This is some shit that I feel like, you know, someone like Stephen Colbert would do. Oh, it, it, yeah, it's... Or uh, John Oliver. <laughs> John Oliver, too. Yeah, totally. Yeah, look, dude, seriously, look in the background. There's dudes with a guitar and there's like a piano guy. Why wasn't Hugh Laurie given a cameo? Right. And then you have the Benny Hill song. Oh, I know, right? Again, this should not fit. This should not fit. This should not work. But fuck, it does. It totally even got the stupid man in a gorilla for no reason. <laughs> All the stupid cartoonist sound effects, too. Love it. And of course, this is a great little reveal. Just within the context of the world, that's actually pretty funny. <laughs> Boy, this is probably the mo the uh, the first legitimate laugh that these people have gotten out of their nightly talk show. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Green screen! <laughs> oh boy and then of course we have this really great shot here with uh sipping his milk <laughs> yikes okay first off um his hand strength for his for a guy his age is phenomenal right second someone get him a doctor <laughs> because <laughs> his hand is going to be sliced the fuck up yep it's actually kind of amazing, like, you don't see... you. Well, I guess, that, you know, because his face is so fucking close to the camera in his conference rooms that you don't have to put a bandage over his hand. Yeah. <laughs> Although, wait, no, he. I think he appears on TV to be like, anyone caught outside with a mask will be faced with charges without leniency or exception. <laughs> like, I, 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 mean, I bet if you look at his hand, no bandage. WTF, writers... And we got another parallel bit here. Yeah. Apparently, Stephen Fry was really excited to, to film this sequence. He's like, 
What was the scene you were most excited about? Oh, getting my ass kicked. That's never happened to me in a movie before. I can't wait. <laughs> oh, man. You know, you know, I'm actually kind of shocked that they didn't find her under there. Because, look, like, last time they established that, you know, she, ma she made a noise and they caught her and detained right, her. Right, but, but if you think about the last time, she was under a bed in a little kid's room where her mom was in. Yeah. She's under a bed in a room where nobody knows she is in a house where a man is supposed to be living alone. Okay, that's fair. And she's small enough to actually, like... Make sure she isn't like you know like a toe isn't popping out or anything. Right, like I'm I'm more confused why she would try to run like in that level of immediacy. Mm -hmm. Like wait till they calm down. Like they're they clearly already left that room. They have who they want. How persnickety do you think they're going to be? Good point. After all, they didn't even know she was supposed to be there, but exactly. B did. And actually, if you look really closely, the uh, the the quote unquote Norse fire guard that uh, or or uh, uh, trooper that grabbed her had yeah. it, it was burnt. Oh yeah, yeah, which I thought was really cool. Because this is also straight out of the novel, although it was for an entirely different reason. Yeah. Because she shacked up with Gordon, who was an older gentleman. Like, they totally, like, had sex and everything. Like, they were totally lovers. Um, but he got killed in a gang war by some Scottish uh, a gang member. And after that, she's like, fuck everything. I hate this. And I'm going to go take revenge after those gang leaders who fucked me and the government. Because fuck everything. And before she can do anything, you know, she's captured and... Uh, yeah. And we don't know, you know, obviously we don't know it's V or anything, but... So, interestingly, Natalie was actually really psyched to have her ha head shaved like this. Oh, yeah, I know. She, uh... It's, it's actually kind of crazy. Yeah, she had kind of wanted to do it for a long time, but, like, was a little afraid to, so she was kind of really happy that she had a role that, like, uh, gave her the justification to just go, go and do it, which I oh, yeah, thought was great. They, when they were shaving her head on camera, that was actually her he hair getting sh uh, yeah. shaved off. Um, but yeah, it's like, oh, that's, that's awesome. And can you imagine like, you know, during these scenes where she's getting tortured and shit, where she's just like crying and screaming and oh my God. And then literally they say cut. She's like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> Cause, uh, and, and actually I am one who does recommend everyone. And I mean, everyone, at least at some point in their life, shave their head. Cause oh, yeah. it's. Especially, especially, I recommend during the summer, because I'll tell you what, it is, it feels awesome. Uh, it's something I feel like everyone should try out. Um, but yeah, you know, because I, I especially feel that as an actress, because you know, as an actor, your body is key to presentation for any role that you take. Mm -hmm. I also love the overhead shots, especially the way that they characterize her getting her food. Like, it's just thrown in, yeah. and, like, it just seeps onto the floor. Nasty-ass rats running around. God. I'll tell you what, that's kind of how we all must have felt when <laughs> quarantine was at its peak. Yeah, not far off. Yeah, 
again, that's not how what we actually. That's just how we've been feeling. Quarantine blues. It's still going on. I can't believe. And then of course we have the the letter. Which I'm so glad that they really didn't change a whole lot from the novel because yeah. that was one of the more beautiful things that was written. Now, I don't know about you because I had a couple of friends who uh, took a couple of uh, uh, homosexuality in cinema classes in mm-hmm. college. I didn't take one myself. Kind of wish that I did. Um, but... Uh, would you call like this sequence in particular one of the most pro-gay things you've seen in cinema? Because you might have a better understanding of, you know, homosexuality in representation in cinema than I do. Because there's still quite um, a few that I haven't seen. Maybe a, I mean, like at the time I would say that to an yeah, extent, but de- uh, more I mean, this was in the, in the context of the time. Well, right, but at the same time, this was, like, post, uh, gosh, I'm probably going to butcher this name, um, but I want to say it's, like, uh, something like The Incredible Story of Two Women in Love or Two Girls in Love. Yeah. So it's, like, there had, right, but it's, like, there had been movies that, you know, tried to tackle it in a very realistic, mature way. Mm -hmm. So, yes, for a mainstream, for a sequence in a mainstream release... I think this handled it quite well, but I think there was a lot more independent cinema that had been done by this point. Yeah. That was much better representation, but if yes. we're talking for a mainstream blockbuster. This is definitely uh, a notable sequence. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I'm, cause I know there's been a lot of independent cinema about this sort of thing. Uh, again, I really wish I had I'm seen more. Like if, if y'all want like us to do some, some of that cinema, like do a commentary of it, Please let us know. I mean, uh, we'd be happy to tackle that one of these days. Um, but yeah, I, I I I just never really got a whole lot of them. I know I have a few that are on my list, like uh, um, uh, but I'm a cheerleader, uh, boys who cry. Um, oh God, there's so there's there's so many others. I just can't think of them off the top of my head. I need to one of these days, but. Um, I think uh, Stephen Fry, this this sequence is one of the main reasons why Stephen Fry took the job and why he explicitly wanted Gordon to be a gay character, mm-hmm. just like but him. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, the movie I was thinking of, yeah, The Incredible True Adventure of Two Girls in Love, um, you know, this. so there was a lot of this stuff coming out in the mid-90s that had really good representation. Uh, yes. And also think about it, Philadelphia uh, was in oh, there at that same God. time, too. Thank you, yes. So okay. I think, again, as far as, like, a mainstream blockbuster that was, like, tailored to broader general audiences and not specifically towards, you know, covering that community, I think this is a great representation. Yes. But there's obviously so much better cinema out there that what is designed to be like no we are here and we have stories and we are valid yes well and in the mo- this movie's like minor defense this sequence really isn't the forefront homosexuality is not the the key it's really more about a much broader stroke in revolution right this, this shot right here i swear if you look closely you can see huge like uh uh hugh jack or hugo weaving's face <laughs> Because I know he, because that's where you're like, oh my god, he really was present for it. 
which is kind of awesome. I guess he was wearing like his Agent Smith costume with gloves. <laughs> but yeah, again, this this sequence isn't the main focus, so therefore it's 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 fine. But uh, you know, it it's it, the fact that they portray it in this way is wonderful. Yeah. And, you know, it also helps that, you know, the Wachowskis themselves are transgender. Right. Oh, my God. This whole story is heartbreaking. I love this shot where she barely flinches. Like, she just knows. Yeah. And, again, more parallel imagery. I do want to know where she got her uh her pencil i guess she swiped it off a desk in the middle of uh the examinations because i know it's supposed to be written on toilet paper yeah My heart. My heart. It's moments like this where we just have to stop the commentary and just appreciate what's <laughs> written there. I mean, it's a beautiful story. It it is. It's so well written, and they again they really didn't change a whole lot from the novel. No. And I will say this, boy, it really does harden Evie into the badass bitch that she becomes for the rest of the movie. Because uh, because when they lift that bag off her face, not an inch of her face moved. Yep. She is just ready. I don't know if you noticed, but um, I'm really loving how visually they made the her interrogator's silhouette look like uh, Creedy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like you, even you know, even to you know, the person that has never has never seen uh, uh, or read the novel and know nothing about it, uh, they were like, "Is that actually Creedy?" <laughs> oh yeah seriously if you look at the that facial or that that uh silhouette you can totally see that it's hugo weaving yeah and evidently i i haven't actually spotted it myself like i went to go back to rewind the movie um, but apparently the only time that Hugo Weaving actually shows his face at the movie is at the 
the very end where everyone takes off their mask as Parliament mm. gets blown up and whatnot. I looked and looked and looked, but uh, apparently someone said that you, Hugo Weaving's face is in the crowd somewhere um, when mm. everyone takes off their mask. So that's where it, the one time where V shows his face. But uh, yeah, apparently I, I haven't spotted it myself. But any of you out there want to just like send like a screenshot with a circle? Cool by me. <laughs> also love that guards a mannequin. Mannequin Skywalker. If you will. No. No. <laughs> well, it is Natalie Portman, dude. So, well, I guess just, it, just think of that. Th think of that Bugs Bunny. No. <laughs> you know what? Uh, in, in essence, I will at least submit to you that her interaction with that mannequin is infinitely more interesting than her interaction with Hayden Christensen with the I don't like sand. It's rough. Agreed. <laughs> Although I still say that Hayden Christian, that's not his fault at all. That's totally the writing. No blame on him whatsoever. I think he's great as Anakin. Um, but yeah, this is kind of a really big-ass reveal. And uh, I really wish that it wasn't so downplayed in here a little bit. It actually kind of feels a little downplayed when you look at the novel. Because when she comes out, he's like, you did this to me? Why? Yeah. Because I love you. I tortured you and abused you to set you, and put you in a cage to set you free. A lot of, you know, hypocritical ideology going on with not yeah. just V, but also, uh, you know, Adam, Su Adam, Susan and whatnot. Mm Now, I'm curious. Do you agree with these methods here? I I don't know. I know, right? I don't know either because at the end of the day, he did his he did the job that needed to be done for her to move on and for to her to quell her fear. But holy fuck, that is a fucked up way to do it. That really, at the end of the day, doesn't make sense. Jesus. Right? <laughs> yeah, man, I totally forgot how good Natalie Portman is here. You know what just hit me right now? It's that, you know, for all the flaws and all the things that they changed around for this movie, because, again, you know, we talked about how 
Alan Moore was really pissed off about how it's no mm-hmm. longer a thing between anarchy and fascism. It's more about, you know, neoconservatism versus uh, liberalism. Right. And you know what? I'm okay with that because it might not... Because, look, we might... It, it Yes, the fact that it remains that it isn't no longer... It's no longer about uh, the things that you wrote about but those things that you originally wrote around, wrote about aren't really what we need. It needs more. We well, we I don't. Need... But that's it. I don't know if that was true at the time versus what it's true now. Maybe, but I think for some reason, you know, it, it's not the story. It, it's the whole you know Dark Knight thing where it's not the story. Uh, we deserved or anything but it is the one that we need yeah and I do like this ones were born out of fire ones were born out of rain yep but yeah that's that's like the thing that kind of take that I take away from all this despite the fact that it is radically different in both terms of the plot and in some of its ideas this movie provided some of the things that we especially here in America some of the things that we needed to address for ourselves and for those around us you know yeah like uh, again it's it's not perfect it's not um it is it's weirdly its own thing but not really and i don't i, I don't know i'm i'm I, I forgive me i am absolutely atrocious with trying to verbally express my ideas you're all right <laughs> well it's also directed toward you know all you guys listening out there But I guess that is probably the best compliment I can give this movie is that, yeah, despite all the changes and despite all the weird things that they do and some of the plot holes that they have, ultimately the ideas that this film specifically represents, it's it's ideas that we need to hear and that we need to talk about. I do like this where mm-hmm. he actually has like a little shrine and her rose is growing. Revenge! Revenge! She's got a point. She really does. That's like literally the whole point of V for Vendetta is that um, are the monster are the do we prefer the monsters that uh, rule over us or the ones that want to uh, destroy them? Well, right, but uh, it, then it becomes a difficult question of those like yeah, but the monsters who ruled over us created the monsters who wanted to destroy them. 
It's like, how harshly can you judge that monster when it was clearly created by that system? We're all monsters. That's one of the most uh, poignant thing about, say, like, uh, the, the Witcher. Man is the real monster all along. <coughs> True. Gesundheit. Thank you. Or should I say, Satan away. It's... <laughs> <laughs> I always forget where exactly Evie goes in the movie because, you know, in the film, you know, she, she gets kicked out at one point. Then when she finds this reveal, she just fucks off <laughs> because she's pissed off again. Right. <laughs> but I'm like, where the hell do you constantly go? Now, you mentioned how, like, you know, how an entire country could... I mean, you know, it's logistic to see how that yeah. could be pulled back then when this was made, you know, before the internet really became mm -hmm. the internet what it is now, back when it was I, cool. I can tell you, by the way, for a fact, at this moment, yeah, that, like, from here on out, it's off the rails for sure. Like, this is no longer book V for Vendetta. Okay, well, I mean, it lasted... Uh, where are we? We we are at exactly an hour and 30 minutes. Right. So. And well, as I said earlier, there's a point where it's like, okay, this is starting to not be it. This is now the point where it's like, it is for sure no longer it. Okay, so, well, I guess it held up a little bit better than I thought. Because I was expecting, like, the first half, hey, pretty good. And then, wait, what? But now yeah. it's like, there was like a seed planted halfway through. And then three quarters of the way through, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. The more you tighten your grip, the more uh, the more of it will slip through your fingers. This boy, this really is Fox News to a T. Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, you mentioned like the, how the people are willing to go like a full year for this sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, obviously that was you know possible back in the early days of the internet. Not now, not so much. But um, yeah, it's actually kind of fun. It, for all that, despite all that, this movie still kind of gets me off in the same way that I do when I watch the 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 show, The Boys. Is that you know just a bunch of ra uh, like a small ragtag. Uh, group of people is just will, uh, fighting fascists underground and making them look like idiots. I right. just get I just get off to that, especially these days. Right. Well, what I also find most interesting when you actually look at things from a historical perspective, and yeah. you know, England's relationship with fascism is actually quite interesting because one of the reasons they didn't really have a nationalistic rise in England at the time when you know germany and italy and spain and these other countries uh in europe were having it uh because there were definitely you know you know right-wing you know nationalistic uh people and and mm -hmm. political elements in england uh they never got a foothold because every time they would show up to speak literally 
the opponents would show up, wreck the stages, and beat them. Like, they <laughs> literally did not give them a voice. So, like, England <laughs> ha- was, like, the most anti-fascist, screw-you country, which is one of the reasons I always love V for Vendetta, because it's like, hey, what happens when they get so scared they actually embrace that which they once destroyed? Well, that... See, this, like, this is why, like I said, I was... Um, my British history... Uh, is kind of uh, rusty, but man, when you put it in that perspective, wow, V for Vendetta, the, like the the book, gets so much better because it's literally the last thing that they would reach for. I mean, look at this shit. That is like straight up triumph of the will. Although nowadays, like the only thing missing is punch of people in hats uh, right behind them. Now, I do like this whole montage and how it actually paints the full story of this world that we live in. Yeah, it it really gives you the backstory of, like, this is why all these people were doing these awful things. Yeah, and me as a nerd, I'm like, yippee, exposition! (laughs) Yeah, okay, so that's, I was right. So that they were, they were explicitly experimenting on them to create that virus. Oh, I love that shot. Oh yeah, that's so with the uh, the Saint Marys, the kids. Yeah. Um I actually really thought the uh, their the design of the uh, their memorial uh where they're, you know, playing Ring Around the Rosie. Yeah. That's actually really poignant cuz Oh uh, yeah, you, you know the uh, the the history behind Ring Around oh, yes. the Rosie, like how it, it, it's fucking dark, man. Like all the like it's it's crazy. Like all the shit that we all the lullabies and uh, baby shit that we grew up on. When we look at it as adults, it's like wow, what the fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I also believe that the the movie also tried to you know pull into that whole Islamophobia thing by having those extremists be like you know Muslim ex- uh, religious extremists yeah. or whatnot because you know that's that's just the like, that's just how you demonize your enemy. You're not, or at least the guy that he's playing is. <laughs> right. Because I think that now this is pretty much the point where it just goes off the rails with the um, the alternate history that they're presenting here. Mm-hmm. Okay, because you know that makes a lot of sense. Because I'm like, yeah, this is the point where they're like, oh, all that nuclear fallout, America's war. That's not really important. This whole pharmaceutical scam yeah. thing, and you're like, oh, okay. And, and pon- honestly, though, I'm still totally okay with it, just because again, it's really well told. And really well executed, too, if I might add. Oh, and I thought this part was really cool. So, um, I remember uh, that 
when he kills the priest, he actually has uh, Beethoven's fifth play. Mm-hmm. But here it gets to be played here. Yeah. <laughs> Creepy creedy. Good shit. But I do like the poetry and using Beethoven's fifth. The man from room five and plus the uh the iconic dun 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 dun. this is actually really clever where he's where he plays into the whole intelligence of his enemy Mm -hmm. because again the 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 script here really works i think for the most part because like the only you know things that i kind of question is where the hell did he get the tech for some of his stuff where did he get all his shit from the Shadow Gallery? Um, how the hell did he manage to ship out costumes for literally the entire country? Well, but again, I talk, we talked about the fact that they don't really give a time frame from his escape to his point of action. Yep. And they yep. do establish that he Robin Hood. So how much stealing and robbing do you have to do to get yourself enough resources to pull this off? I guess. It, it really, it's just the uh, the costumes for the entire country kind of bug me because, like, someone's bound to notice that <laughs> but know? again if, what if he started doing it years ago and brought them in slowly over time that's also a possibility and just put it on to uh, and just uh fucked with the uh, the cargo manifest that's yeah. possible not even having to mess with the manifest you're bringing in a crate here or there over a course of years who's going to pay that much attention yep now I forget what the film that she was watching wasn't that the uh, the Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, I think so. It was definitely the film he was watching earlier in the movie as well. Okay, yeah, in which makes total sense because you know Prison Break plus, plus Revenge. Oh yeah, yeah. Good shit. Oh shit. <laughs> Duh, shit. (laughs) Well, guess what? That bullshit is actually kind of on point. That narrative adds up. That's kind of the whole thing, is that? Yep. I do like this whole thing right here. The V over the poster. <laughs> you know, I that's the I know it's like really little, but I kind of wish that she took the paint can and yeah. finalized it, yeah. and not just walked away. That's so weird that they didn't use that because it's such an obvious dramatic beat to work. But I think they kind of wanted to keep the ambiguity of what her position towards him was at that point. Well, if they're going to do that, then just cut away before she walks away, you know, because she clearly stepped off, which I'm like, like, if they want to keep it ambiguous, fine, they can cut off, but don't show her walking away. 
Yeah, I agree. Now, this sequence, like, again, as good as these are, do you know how much more amazing this sequence would be uh, if it was actually set to uh, uh, Sex Pistols? <laughs> right? I mean, I, even... I laugh to a point, however, at, at, at the same time, um, I don't know, like, with, with where Johnny Rotten has become in culture and history. Okay, that's, yeah, yeah. Like, maybe don't use that. Well, I mean, they flat out say it. Anarchy in the UK. like Right, but I'm, I don't know. Like, may, maybe go with a different... Like, you know what? White Riot would have been great. Hey, there you go. That would have been good. <laughs> so let's throw the Clash in there. That'll work. <laughs> oh, yeah. The fucking Clash. That'll do. Fuck yeah. Right, White Riot by the Clash. Yeah. I want a riot of my own. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. Like, that would have been good. Like... Have, why couldn't there have been more like you know British uh, protest punk rock in here? Yeah. They, again, they have a little bit of it, but not nearly enough. Like let's this this movie really could have benefited from some more rock and roll. I don't want to criticize the score or anything because I mean it works and it's fine, but goddamn, you can, and plus you could imagine how they could really edit the beats with it too. Yeah, especially in shots like this. Where they have, like, you know, all this stuff where you can kind of see everything at once. And I also love that. They actually show shit that happens in the future. Yeah. Love that editing montage. And then, of course, the... Because, uh... again, when they try to do all these parallel events it really uh rings true when they edit it together for this kind of montage you know yeah i remember thinking of that line a lot in the oh, past yeah. few years there's a lot of chaos going around and in so much chaos someone's going to do something stupid and when that happens, things will get turned really nasty. And I hate to say it, but I think we've seen that quite a bit in the last couple of years. Yeah, what are you going to do? You have a gun that doesn't have enough bullets for the mob attacking you. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. idiots. What are you going to do? Arrest the entire country? Exactly. Now this is cool. Okay, first off, brilliant idea as a motif to use dominoes falling. Oh, yeah. But this sequence, holy shit. Apparently, like, this is like a, this is like a ridiculous setup for dominoes, um, like, in terms of construction. I think mm -hmm. it took, like, domino experts, like, 200-plus man hours to get this, uh, to get that set up. And you can only imagine how many fucking takes it must have gotten to get that right or just yeah. like all the camera angles to to cover oh, yeah. that there, there was a lot of that I, I can't remember exactly but i did read about it, it was just like yeah the, the amount that they had to do with uh with it those. looks oh, yeah. so uh, fucking yeah cool, 200 though. 200 hours of setup to 22 000 dominoes fuck that's 
but the cool thing is like you the fact that it's in camera and it looks that fucking cool right <laughs> oh you know what have been amazing to add a little bit more poetry to that he's he, it's been a long project for him and uh each one of those um uh dominoes is a day after uh, is a day that he's lived under uh um he he's he, he's been oppressed by mm. by that sort of thing like it's it, it's like a, a each day it's one for each day that he's fought against these people or has yeah. been subjugated by these people like that would have been an amazing uh extra level of poetry to it For one final dance, and I actually do like that line that he rocks the uh, the whole "What revolution? Is, what's a revolution without dancing?" Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, they do only just kind of hint at it, uh, w their romance and relationship and whatnot. Because, you know, as a fan of the original novel, I don't know how you're feeling about that. Because I'm still trying to get into your mindset when you were first watching this, like way back in the day. I mean, it's, as I said, like, I just love the book. And then I'm watching this movie that starts following the book and that just kind of goes off the rails. And you're just like, what? Why? But at the same time, the realization, had they kept along with the book and the way the movie did, this movie would have been three and a half hours. Probably. And, and you know, it's, it's really strange because, you know, we actually got like a three and a half hour version of Watchmen. Why couldn't we have a three and a half hour version of V for Vendetta? Yeah, but at the same time, V for Vendetta is a book about half the length of Watchmen, and yet it would have taken a three and a half hour adaptation to do it right. Very true. Which means what would you have needed to actually do Watchmen perfectly right? Um, actually, perfectly, to do it perfectly right, probably as a 12-episode miniseries. Yeah. That probably would have been best. Boy, doesn't this sound familiar. <clears throat> you know, it only sounds like fucking June. <laughs> highly unlikely <laughs> you guys are you guys are shaking in your little boots <laughs> god damn oh wow I didn't even know he had a disco ball in there <laughs> <laughs> Well, can you imagine fucking V just like, you know, one night just uh, slapping on staying alive by the BGs on his on his jukebox and just start <laughs> going full John Travolta under that thing? Well, what I think is even funnier, though, is imagine that he couldn't find one. Just imagine him sitting there for hours on end just gluing mirror pieces <laughs> on a ball and just then... making his own. And then he can do, like, a mashup 
of uh, 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 Risky Business and Saturday Night Live, where he just plays fucking Staying Alive and then slides in wearing nothing except... Like, it's just his burnt body wearing a pair of tidy whities and socks, but he keeps the mask and the wig on. And he right. starts and he starts disco dancing in a way that would put John Travolta to shame. <laughs> Someone make that a parody somewhere. That would be an that that's that's that'd be an amazing outtake. It might exist. I I doubt like, it. A parody, I mean, might exist. A parody, maybe. And if it doesn't, uh, go make it. Whoever's listening, make that a thing, because. I want to see something stupid and ridiculous like that. I live for the stupid and ridiculous. If anything, just make a meme of it. <laughs> Be one of those things that you find on, like, uh, you know, mysterious content or important images. So yeah, the yeah, the detectives they managed to more logically deduce where the shadow gallery might be or where um what V's plan is to be. They're more logical. I I actually kind of missed that element where he just trips balls to figure out where the hell he is and then he literally confronts him in the shadow gallery and uh, morally right. wounds him. Train full of explosives to go under Parliament. Yep. I'm actually kind of shocked that they didn't, you know, have, you know, uh, V, v die early on before his plan could be really like you know he dies right around the time where his plan is pretty much done and whatnot like he's done yeah. what he's needed to i'm actually kind of surprised they didn't go with the whole thing that uh you know he's discovered early he dies and then evie takes over his role yeah I'm, I'm, it's it's weird that they didn't use that because they still give the whole speech about how you know, V is more than just a human. He's more than a man. He's an idea. And, like, they say that, but they don't really do it. Is that weird for you? Uh, I mean, a, a little bit. But, again, as I said, like, w once the movie kind of goes off the rails for me, I'm j I just end up in this very position of, like, why? <laughs> You're more questioning why we're here as to what's, what should they be doing? Yes, because well, like, I have a whole thing for what they should be doing, which is go look at the book, you idiots. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm perfectly fine with you know the yeah some subplots are gonna have to be removed. You can't do all that. Like, okay, I get it, but like, like it just goes to take such a left turn for me, and you know it. And, you know, it, it it starts feeling, as you were kind of saying, like, of its time, of when yeah. this movie came out, of when it was made. And I just felt that the book was much more of a timeless story, which is important because, you know, when you tell a story uh, like that, that has this timeless feel that could be occurring at any point in time, that's going to stand the test of time better and that will age well. 
Yes, yes. I mean, whereas this, I'm just like, ooh, ooh. That was a cool reveal. I liked that a lot. Um, but yeah, you're totally right. I mean, technically, the, I mean, the original novel takes place in like 97, 98. Um, but literally, that could be happening, you know. They could literally change the year to be like the movie is and be like yeah. 2027. Wouldn't make a fucking difference. Nope. Because you're right. Like, you know, especially movies that tie in with like ideas of revolution and... Uh, and idealisms that transcend the thing of time, they should be in a timeless sense. Because this, this is this really is like a should be in like a a, a near distant future, you know, to be that cautionary tale yeah. that it is. And you know, my whole thing is like I just don't. It didn't track for me that. V would settle for the chancellor, allow the grander plan to somebody else, and let Creevy go. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, I'm like, nah, he'd have murdered Creevy. Or Creedy, Creevy, whatever. Yeah, creepy Creedy. Yeah, it's like, he he did... I don't, I don't see that. Like, it's like, I don't see him making this play as he did. I mean, granted, he does like uh, he does plan to basically betray him after Sutler's gone. I mean, yeah, but you know, it's like you know he's the kind of person like he knows who he's dealing with, and so he planned it. But I'm like, I don't know. I I just I it doesn't track for me. Him putting himself intentionally in a lose lose scenario. You know, like in a scenario where he knows he's going to die, that doesn't track with the book character for me. Well, yeah, I mean, because like I said, he is not an anarchist in this movie. He is a freedom fighter. And usually in these types of dystopian movies, the freedom fighters often become martyred for their... Right, and that's just it. That's where it's like, it, it's a huge departure for me that doesn't track with the V I know and that they start, in my mind, with the first half of the movie, which is mm -hmm. the book V. So, I was just like, eh. Yeah. And, again, you know, if you're okay with the fact that the you, you're accepting the fact that this is basically a freedom fighter story and not an anarchy v. fascist story, um, then, yeah, this movie's perfectly acceptable. Cause, and plus the other thing I think, you know, that was crucial about this bit was that, you know... For all the talk, 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 and you're like, dude, you know, like, I, I feel like uh, not just the producers, but also, like, the exec producers, the ones that are going to release the movie and have box office expectations for it, they're going to be like, where's the fucking superhero fight? Well, this is it. Because <laughs> now we have to, you know, get some more conventional stuff here. But I do like right, the fact when like he... I mean, you just literally saw him get shot that many times, and it's just like, I understand that, you know, he's overpowered in the book, but you don't ever get the sense that, you know, he's invulnerable. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, they, they do play with that, because there's, like, supposed to be, you know, a fucking uh, bulletproof vest and whatnot that gets shredded. 
But I do like the photography of this shit here. And I also yeah, I mean, lo- the, the, the visual elements here are wonderful. Oh yeah, I will dude, not totally. argue that. Ah, oh, so so wonderful. Ooh, it's the gore. But something I really did that his threat though was really fucking good though. Like, uh, what you you don't have guns, you just have bullets, and when you're empty, you'll all be dead before you can reload. And of course, this wonderful line. And ideas are bulletproof. When you've been shot that many times, I don't think you still have the strength in your body to choke someone out. Just saying. Yeah. But it is so fucking cool, though. Also love this shot where they kind of actually kind of distort the image like he's starting to lose it. Well, yeah, I mean you see the blood like clearly this was did not work, and mm-hmm. that's just it. With when you saw him shot, you saw blood spray from the back of the bullet, so some had gone clear through, like he had gotten jacked up. But yeah, he probably wouldn't have had the full strength to choke someone out like that. Yeah. Eh. Honestly, just because of like the the fact that he delivers on his threats so in such a badass well, way, I mean, you're willing to forgive that kind of shit. I don't, I do not, you know, by any means hate this movie. It's just like the like the, this last forty five minutes to me is just like, what happened? You were doing so good. <laughs> well, again, it, it's because it, like I said, this movie is not about fascism v anarchy. It's about free freedom fighters against fascists well maybe it's, it it's liberal be. well you know maybe it, it, it should be <laughs> maybe i don't know like because um maybe that's what the t- the tv show is going to be for it's actually <laughs> going to be about fascist v anarchy instead of fascism v liberalism you know but see i don't know if see that's it. i've never really seen much of an incident where like mainstream production companies want to come ma- want to make anything for commercial consumption that is full on in favor of anarchy. Oh, exactly. Like, that, and, and that's so, probably the reason right. so, why. But, so when you're saying, you know, oh, maybe the TV show and I'm just like, I'm not holding my breath. Well, I mean, it is going to be Britain produced. So maybe, maybe, cause I don't, I have no idea how, uh, how they might feel. Um, but I, I, I will say I do like the idea at least of like the version of a Viking funeral here. Oh yeah. I do like that a lot, especially how beautifully displayed he is with the roses and all that. Yeah. But this is a really cool shot here. This is the actual, uh, locations like, um, uh, 10 Downton street. They actually photographed all these, uh, large scenes on location which has never been done before they actually were able to shoot for like three minutes at a time to close down things and security was ridiculously tight um because uh, oh yeah it, like everyone who had a who had a weapon it had a barcode on it and they had to get background checks to have them for that filming yep, yep. it's it ridiculous. was nuts 
But uh, yeah, uh, you know, number ten as they call it in the UK. Uh, uh, that's they they actually were supposed to blow that up at the end of the the novel. Um, they were saving that for last because you know that's where they have all the cabinet means and all that shit. But you know, it's not it's not quite as big or as uh, iconic to Americans as Parliament or Big Ben. You know. Actually, I don't think even. I mean, Ten Downing Street is represented here with you know on the streets, but they never actually mention it in the in the movie, do they? Oh, it's so cool. They're all just passing by peacefully. Excuse me, coming through. Oh, that's a cool shot. Well, I mean, you really don't... I mean, showing an SS-equivalent squad getting taken out is very different than showing, oh, look, it's a soldier getting taken out. Like, yeah. very much of the Bush era. Like, we don't like the war, but we're not going to hate our soldiers. Like Exactly. You know, you're probably... Yeah, truth be told, if this really wanted to stay in spirit with the novel... Those fucking soldiers would be beaten the hell out of. Yup. Because <laughs> these people would be so not in for it. And besides, you know, like, even if, like, the majority of them were going to be peaceful, there's going to be that one dumb idiot out oh, there yeah. that just, you know, start cracks one in the skull, and then, you know, the officer, def like, uh, uh, defending his buddy shoots the guy and then it just becomes full on anarchy. Oh yeah. Music's back. Wow. I wonder if they actually played the music with all these extras here. Kablooey! You also gotta love how they time the explosives to the music. <laughs> but then again, I guess if they can do it for the 4th of July with their fireworks shows, V yeah. could probably figure out a way here, too. Although, you know what would have been more poetic for him to blow, when, for him to blow up Parliament? At exactly 11.05. <laughs> Because not only is it, uh, you know, November the 5th, but if you look at, you know, how uh, a clock w clock hands would be, it would f form the shape yeah. of a letter V. I'm really disappointed that Natalie Portman didn't get to wear the mask. You know? Because if you look here, like in this next shot coming up, literally everyone else gets to wear the mask. Right. Literally everyone. And I don't know if he's in there, but someone said out there that Hugo Weaving's in the crowd there. I looked at it. I couldn't find it. But I do like how like you see all the people who have apparently died in the movie come back. Yeah. Which I think is a really wonderful visual idea. You know, the, the, the people, even though they're gone, they're still there in spirit. 
The only thing that's literally missing, at least according to what I know about Guy Fawkes Night Festivals, literally is a giant mannequin of V burning. <laughs> that's no really like because they'll have like a giant uh it's sort of like burning man where they'll have like a giant thing of guy fox that they'll burn no, and I, it's I, yeah i by... know they burn an effigy I'm, I'm well aware yeah i was i was kind of chuckling but like i don't know that that's i mean that's just it like he picks that day because he's like no he was right not because he wanted to martyrdom himself so yeah yeah some ro- bring out some Rolling Stones because, man, how much more would this movie have benefited with some more rock British rock and roll? I mean, yeah, but I don't know. It's the whole thing's complicated. <laughs> it it really is. I mean, well, you know, because as I said, like, I mean, yes, okay, it, it would have, but at the same time, like, the movie went way off the rails from you know the book and from what I was looking for. So I mean. I, I have a very tumultuous relationship with this movie, clearly, because yeah. I love the book. I don't hate the movie at all. I enjoy the movie, but like I enjoy it for its parts rather than the whole. I enjoy the performances. I enjoy the the visuals. I enjoy um, the alternative you know, ideas, even you know, like just to eh. consider. Well, I mean, they may not be uh, welcome in a presence that is in a presence of an adaptation of this movie. But uh, it, oh yeah, Adrian Biddle. He was the uh, product, the uh, uh, the director of photography. He actually died like four days before the movie was released. But mm. no, what I was saying um, is that yeah, I mean the alternative ideas aren't really welcome in an adaptation for something like this. But they're still interesting ideas to consider as themselves right, right. And, yeah. and, and, and i don't disagree with that but it's it's just so hard for me to separate it because like when the source material means so much to you and then it you it, it's done in this way you're just like uh yeah it's it's it can be frustrating at times i understand but um i am curious now that you know it has been like almost what 15 years since this has been released um how how do you feel about it now uh i mean i'm very much still the same way and i think one of the reasons for this is is that a big thing for me um so you know there's this movie talks about things like you know ideas being bulletproof things of that nature yes um and when it comes to stuff like censorship i'm a big fan of like neil gaiman's position that just because I'm against censorship and I don't believe anything should be censored, that doesn't mean everything should be shown. Unfortunately to me, I feel that Hollywood is very much, uh, and I hate—I almost hate to use the word Hollywood, but I feel for a lot of mainstream commercialized productions, yes, they're really afraid to show, like to, to push narratives or films that go really out there. And unfortunately... Um, I, I just think that I don't think what at this time, at when this movie was made, um, what, uh, and more so now, I don't think the real out there is that out there. Mm-hmm. Like I feel where, where, where people used to think the line is, is not where the line actually is. And I think there's a lot more receptiveness, you know, n- not necessarily on a scale of, 
you know, everybody, obviously, but it's just like, I don't think you're going to have a commercial issue if you actually tell the story of like, this is anarchism versus this, because I think there's a lot more awareness now about not necessarily just straight anarchism, but like of ideologies that are not like necessarily like just liberal ideologies, but you know, ideologies that are on the left. And that's like, no, 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 we're not talking about like straight, no control. We're not talking about that. It's like, we're talking about, ideologies are just like well yeah we don't want centralized government we want uh, so much as we want communities who are designed to take care of each other uh i think the the compassion and the community sense that is really what is at the core of so many left ideologies has really been brought back into it and that awareness has uh proliferated but see then that brings the real problem because most of what the those ideologies are talking about come down to we don't like capitalism and we're going to do something else. Yeah. <laughs> and so they don't, so companies trying to make a product that they're trying to sell, they don't want to sell something that is advocating for their lack of existence. Yes, exactly. But unfortunately, a lot of that, you know, a lot of those kind of things are tied up in a lot of the literature and books and things that, you know, people are adapting, whether it's overt or, you know, more subtle there is definitely a call against, you know, you know, control, like, you know, fascism and control, but also you see call, calls against the, uh, you know, things being commoditized. You have this point, you know, there's a subplot in the book where this woman's husband was part of the government and gets killed, and she is left so destitute that she basically has to become a stripper to make money to survive. Yep, yep. And it's literally her who comes around and murders the leader. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, totally. Like, and, and that's just it. It's like, yeah, when you have a system that's built like this, where it's like, oh, suddenly you lost your social and economic means, you're in the gutter. You have nothing. You're a you're scum. Like, calling that out, I don't think is anywhere near controversial anymore. But because these companies are existing to be like, I want money, mm -hmm. they don't want to make products that call that out. And so I, it's just like, I, I feel that. You know, stuff like this to me just doesn't ring genuine because it is ignoring, like, they don't want to talk about the elephant in the room. And I just keep seeing so much media like this, even more so now, where it's just like, we're not going to talk about the elephant in the room. And literally, I would say, if not the majority, then I would say, you know, a very significant percentage of, like, at least 40% of the people who are consuming it are like, Please talk about the elephant in the room. Exactly, because we're frustrated and we, we're like, dude, this shit needs to be ad addressed. This, th this yeah. shit needs to be talked about. Um, and I mean, but, it's certainly very different. You know, I, I have to say, like, we are speaking about this from an American perspective, yes. which is going to be very different from an international perspective. But when we're living in a country where you can go bankrupt for medical bills that would literally cost you less than $1,000 in other civilized nations yeah we're frustrated <laughs> very much so but we don't talk about that you know i mean when you because nowadays like we were talking about hugh laurie earlier we, we when you watch house now you're like how the fuck are these people getting taken care of how the fuck right? aren't they like ever why the hell are they ever never ever talking about what their bills are going to be like they're just like oh doctor save my life yeah and it's just like you have a special like you have a specialist uh with 
like you have a specialist doctor who is consulting, handling the case, whatever, with his three assistants. Like, dude, like, what is that going to cost you? How, how right, are, you, how, like, how are like, all of his patients not billionaires? Right. They're not talking about the fact that, like, what insurance do they have? Are they ideal for this? Like, yes, yeah, some rich people get flown in or, like, super specialty cases get flown in. But it's just, like, a lot of times, it's like, oh, this is just rare and it showed up. And it's just, like, what insurance does this person have? Exactly. Like, I've seen house handle they, so many, like, yeah. you know, people, straight up homeless people, you know? And, you know, let, let me put it this way because uh, – I realize that we've gotten personal a couple of times on this and, and this is going to get personal again. Um, and Tim doesn't even know this, so it's going to be a bit of a shock. Oh, uh, I my, am strapped in for this. My uncle passed away yesterday. Oh, I'm sorry. After spending two months in and out of the hospital, uh. um, uh, and now the hospital and a rehab center, um, he'd smoked for about 50 years. Like, he okay. quit a couple times, but not for any significant amount of time. Yep, yep. And, I mean, certainly, like, he like he, he was on government insurance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, internationally, yeah, there's, there's a cost associated with this, but not much. But with the inflated way they charge for medical services in this country, I mean, when you think about that and think about how, like, I had a friend who, you know, his wife and newborn like you know his newborn was born with problems had to be in an intensive care thing for newborns and ended up being about six days in the hospital six days in the hospital that bill before insurance was like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. what's the bill that is being that is now going to have to be discharged by the taxpayers in this country for a two-month hospital stay for that my uncle just had and it's like i'm not and it's just like no like this profiteering medical system like it's not viable and that's just it it's like it's these kind of systems that are are problems that so many people are dealing with day to day and particularly right now with the pandemic and everything else going yep, on yep and it's like yeah the people who are well off or who own stock in this or who are beneficial or who are you know super wealthy but that percentage in this country has shrunk so much. I mean, I, I, I would caution to say if it's even 10% at this point, it might be less. Oh, dude, so it's probably have, even less than 1%. You know, the, well, like the yeah, whole... But, but it's like you have like a majority of this country. Now, I mean a majority. I would say 50% or more of the people in this country are living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, probably even more like, than that, and, honestly. It's yeah, probably... and it's like, well, I said 50% or more. And yeah. it's like, and you have these kind of systems in place, and through all the efforts, we can't seem to get them reformed or fixed. It's just like, I'm sorry, but when somebody can go to a country in Europe and pay three dollars to have like four tests done to see what the lump in the, in their chest is, if it's cancer or something else, and they get that done in a day, yeah. But here in America, that would take two weeks, countless appointments, countless tests, and ca- and an insane amount of money versus $3. Yep. yep. Like, no, this is not viable. This is not okay. Like, the way we run this is awful. And yet, they try to hide it behind, like, well, freedom and capitalism. And I'm just like, yeah, uh, I, I kind of just want the medicine I see in these amazing European countries that you decide yes. that we shouldn't have. Yes. Because you 
think we need to profiteer it? Which, no. So, should we just urge all of our listeners to march on the White House dressed as Guy Fox at midnight? Look, I'm, I'm not advocating for anything of that specifics because we don't know how stuff's playing out. And let me tell you, like, to get more real, I have a friend who's, who's a DJ and I was watching him stream last night. He's been in a long-term relationship with a trans person. Mm-hmm. They're making plans if the election, if if the president gets reelected, to uh, go to Canada, yeah. because they're that afraid that it will signal a green light to his crazy base that it is okay to lash out and attack and destroy those kind of people. Yeah, and that's it's, not okay. No, that it is, is hundred, never. And it's like that is terrifying. So no, I don't want to advocate. For anything of a violent nature, because guess what? That election goes wrong. I don't want to give anyone an excuse to put a black bag over my head. Exactly. I'm not, I, I'm not, I mean, I will stand up all day long myself, but I want it for my own actions, not for my words. And if you're coming after my freedom of speech, I'm already afraid. And for listeners who don't know, I'm working on uh, becoming a teacher overseas. For yeah. similar reasons, because I'm very terrified of how things are going here. I realize this has gotten way off topic. And no, no, no. Honestly, like, I think we're right on movie. topic. It's we're... what we're here for. Like, yeah. this is the discussion, and the world has gotten scary, but particularly America has gotten really scary. And, yes. I mean, let, let me put this in perspective. I got sick. Going back to the medical stuff, I got sick in Greece last year when I was there on vacation. Oh, geez. And I came was... down with a sinus infection. Yeah. Oh, guess what? Called the front desk. They got a doctor to come straight to my room. I mean, it cost me 100 bucks. Guess what? Like, that's not bad for an uninsured doctor's visit. House call. Yeah. Oh, yeah, The guy yeah, came to my hotel room. I got three prescriptions. I had no problems literally walking to the end of the street to a pharmacy. Here you go. Here's your drugs. And let me tell you, one of those drugs isn't even allowed in the U.S. Or I should say, it's not approved by the FDA here. It's a nasal spray. Man, one spray each nostril, nostril twice a day dried me up. Huh. That combined with the like with the, the, the antibiotics they gave me, I was functional in less than 24 hours and was able to enjoy the rest of my time in Greece. Not <sighs> to mention throughout the rest of my time on my trip. It's like... I paid at most 130 bucks out of pocket and everything worked out. Yeah. Guess dude. what? Uh, my copays here are 30 bucks for having to even go in. Uh, and then if I hadn't met my deductible yet, welcome to another 90 bucks on top of that. And it, that that's all. The, it's like, and if I know had I been a citizen in other situations, like in that country, those costs would have been next to negligible. But it's like, there was no wait, there was no time problem. It's like, I got in like that. My friend broke his leg there. They got the, they brought a portable x-ray machine into his hotel room. You know, that, see, that's why that shit would never fly here, because it just makes sense. Yeah. Nothing like, makes like, sense like, here. Right. And not <laughs> only did they get into his hotel room, they got all the tests that needed to be done until he had to do like, like a serious it was serious enough that they needed to do like a full like MRI scan. Everything short of that was in the hotel room. First doctor coming in, x-ray coming in, like, and in a day, 
all in that same day. There was do no you, wait. Do you, do you know how much you're sounding? This sounds like the the fucking uh, presidential treatment that Trump got when he got right. tested but positive. Here's, but here's the other thing to keep in mind. This is in Greece. Exactly. Yeah, that's this my point. Isn't even, right. This isn't even in like the highly praised medical systems in Europe of like Iceland and Finland and like these other kind of countries. This isn't even the best country and they're kicking our ass. Yep. God, can you imagine how much, how really great a place it must be for like fucking Norway? Oh my God. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's like you look at this and you're just like, or I believe it, I think it was Finland. Like I think it, Finland's one of the countries, one of the Nordic countries, they've solved homelessness there. Yep, yep. I, they I realized saw that. it was literally cheaper for tax dollar wise to put people up in public housing and provide them a small living stipend so they can survive. They basically looked at the math. It's like we're paying more on services to deal with the homeless than it would actually cost to just make sure they're not homeless. Yeah, but see that doesn't in that doesn't appease to us saying fuck poor people. Right, but see, there's the problem. Why are the people poor? Oh, usually because there's underlying other conditions of mental health or other issues. And not only do these people, you know, and like, oh, well, they're going to take advantage of it. It's like they offer these people those helpful services to help them actually solve their problems, get on their feet, and join, rejoin society. And let me tell you, how, how much of that, say, okay, take the whole homeless population. Even say 20% of them like just sit on the system and don't rejoin society. I'm pretty sure the revenues, the offset tax revenues from getting 80% of them back into society and functioning, you know, through the, through the mental health services, through education, counseling, whatever. It's like that tax offset will probably offset the char costs of that other side. It's just like, you're not looking at this logically. That no. people think everyone wants a handout. It's like, no, most, it's like, do you know how bored you are if you do nothing? Most people yeah. I know don't want handouts. They want to do something. They just don't want to basically be made to feel like a worthless person who has to lick your boot or you're going to kick them in the face for not a living wage. Like, exactly. That's the issue. Dude, I mean, that's what I've been doing. I've been doing it, – it's literally the whole reason why I'm doing this podcast right now is because and, I can't find fucking jobs as a film uh, on a film set – or as a photographer, because I'm in Cincinnati, so there's... It, I mean, it's not like it's totally limited out here, but now that COVID's happening, oh my God, it's been limited. And yeah, I, I've been and, hunting for months. So I'm doing this literally so I don't feel like a useless sack of shit. Yeah, and you know what? Like, when I was looking for work, man, uh, I did... Like, because I had a point where I was unemployed for a little over a year. I was applying for at least 10 jobs a week, if not more. Oh, yeah, me but too. But I, I didn't want to feel useless. So it's like I was writing uh, I was writing for a friend's website to stay uh, active. I was that exercising Cryptease? a lot. No, that oh. I just started. I was, okay. This is when I was writing for Never Ending Radical Do. Well, while we, we're on the like, well, real quick, uh, just while we're on the subject of it, why don't you talk a little bit about Cryptease? Because I will also leave something in the uh, description uh, below for you. I have started uh, writing for a horror news and uh, review website called Cryptease. Um, I'm mostly doing um, either film reviews or I'm doing uh, retro reviews of classic or underground horror films uh, for a column called uh, Digging Up the Dead. 
Nice. So uh, I know I uh, by the time this is out, I have a few pieces up. Uh, my productivity has waned a little bit because of uh, I am going through a, a job transition right now, but I do plan to uh, remain with the site. Um, but to touch back just for a second, you know, yeah. when we were talking about, you know, the job problem and, and finding stuff, I saw this the other day and this, the, this quote somebody shared, and this is just so perfect. If you want a living wage, get a better job is a fascinating way to spin. I acknowledge that your current job needs to be done, but I think whoever does that job deserves to be in poverty. No, well, that's like, like I said, I mean, we, and, and that's just crap. Like, I'm sorry. Like people seem to have this idea that like, well, I, I get to be feel better than other people because I worked hard for all this. Like, I'm sorry. If you're working 40 hours a week, you should be able to live. Yeah. Period. Period. Like if I'm working a full time job, I should be paid enough to not starve, to not like to be able to afford my medical care and to be able to afford to go to work and back and keep a roof over my head. Mm -hmm. That's not an exorbitant expectation. It's it's not. Yeah. So I think uh, so I really do think we can call this episode V for vent data. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You're not wrong. Yeah, because because I I know we've been going on and on and on and on and on about all of this. But I'm sorry. We are really pissed off and tired and overworked. And literally the only this this podcast is literally one of the things that both of us, I think I can speak for you, too, Sean, is one of the things that we do to stay fucking sane because. It, it hurts a lot. We're, we're tired of being treated like we don't matter and that we... Because, honestly, I, I really don't need a whole lot at the end of the day. I just need a house for me and my wife and for a little studio to, you know, work in and do photography yeah. and make prints and maybe make some props. And that's that's really all I ask for is a house and a little workshop and for me to work on a film set. I don't even have to be... Any, you know, I don't have to have, like, the 12-year-old the me's dream of, you know, fucking directing a movie and, you know, making yeah. a feature film. I, I, Dude, I'd just be fucking happy as a pig and shit. Just working the fucking clapperboard on... Right, and it's like, you know, I got... I know Pete, a guy who, you know, he does props for movies, and he's super happy, but, like... And he's really good at it, and he's worked his way up in the industry, and I'm super happy for him, but, like, with what that industry pays for, for having to live in L.A., yeah like you know it's like yeah he's 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 not living high on the hog or anything of that nature and you know what that's fine and that's i think the whole thing that drives so many people crazy it's like i've worked jobs i hated because i still needed to make money yes and it's just like i'm you get frustrated when you have to work a job you hate and they don't want to pay you a living wage oh that is the most frustrating thing i'm not saying i need to uh, that i need to be entitled to have a job i love I will happily work a job that I don't like. Like I've done that. I'm okay with it. But like, if I have to work a full-time job, I don't like, I should be able to live. Yeah, no, that's like, totally what it is. In, I shouldn't be worrying about starvation or going bankrupt from medical bills. If Ex- I'm working full-time. Exactly. This is exactly why I don't like ever apply to places like McDonald's. Cause their pay rate is just atrocious. Right, um, and you know, people try and talk about like, well, you can't raise the minimum wage, but it won't work. I'm like, Australia has a $15 minimum wage, and their prices at McDonald's are uh, on average not that much more expensive than exactly. ours. Exactly, it's so they raise clearly it like this maybe can a few be done. Cents. Totally, 
But no, well, I mean, that's just the thing, because literally people like Bezos just l want to literally expunge so much wealth out of you that not only do you become e even more poor and that he gets even more rich, but he literally just like, I want people, poor people to fucking die. Yeah, it's terrifying. I mean, that that's literally the, I mean, I'm basically down to like, you know, my, I'm down to my knees financially at this point. I mean, I'm not asking anyone out there to send money, but, you know, uh, fucking donations would be very, very much grateful for. We'll send you like a T-shirt or a poster or something. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, yeah, no, it's like I can't I literally cannot buy anything for myself uh, outside of gas and food. That is it. Yeah. And like I. I've entirely been there. It's like, I've been on unemployment when I first got off of unemployment, when I, you know, I lost my job in pharmaceuticals, couldn't find work for a year. And then the work that I found was like postal relief at the post office, which wasn't full time. And the pay was not good. Yeah. So it's just like, man, I was working and I ended up working a lot because they needed a lot of relief, but it was still like, it was a brutal time sink. It had brutal hours it was it yeah was my mom worked the post in, office for a while and it it was really hard on her too and you know i eventually had to go back to another position uh you know another field i didn't like but it paid a lot better like i ended up back in in specialty retail sales and while it was the best retail i ever worked i still hate retail it yeah. sucked oh i hate now, retail too you know, dude I, i'm transitioning to become a teacher and i think i'm going to enjoy this a lot better i think it has a lot of the aspects i liked of sales without a lot of the negatives and naturally but, i wish you nothing but the best down that path seriously yeah, and, and thank you but at the same time it's just like i'm pursuing these other paths just because it's like why am i gonna go try to teach english overseas well, because I see nothing but problems in this country and all my efforts to fight and educate and change things seem to have gone for nothing. And it just seems like there's so much doubling down on the things that clearly haven't worked. And it's just like, you know, if you're going to destroy yourselves and destroy the world in the pursuit of, you know, wealth accumulation, I'm pretty sure I can find somewhere else on the planet to exist besides this and look I, I i really do i'm not trying to say this as you know like a person coming out here like i hate my country like no like i love my country there's uh, there's some great things about it. oh yeah but there's dude. also just so much that is messed up that needs to be addressed and man there are people out there trying to address those issues and fight for those issues i mean gosh like all my love to aoc and to to the people in her camp fighting these fights and those are the people I support, and I, I really hope they come through and can get things pushed forward. But you know what? Um, I, I don't know that that's going to happen. and I At least not, not in our lifetimes. Well, uh, who knows? But also, I am not an optimistic person in general, <laughs> and I have had to watch myself struggle to find any kind of viable career path for almost 20 years. Yeah, so me sorry, too. but I'm, I'm, I'm out. Like, I'm going to go find something else to do that allows me to travel and see interesting things and you know, you I, know, maybe, I hope things get better but you know you know maybe we should just take a book uh, a page out of dr manhattan and just be like well mars seems nice this time of year <laughs> oh gosh i mean i volunteer as tribute i know right 
Oh, man, one of these days. One of these days we'll just fuck off to Mars. But then again, of course, knowing the human race, we'll probably fuck that up too. Yahoo. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean... Uh, it's okay. I like I, At the same time, though, I, I will say this. As bad as things are, I'm also a student of history. Yes. And I'm aware there's always a tipping point. You know, yep. you mentioned people like Bezos and the stuff he's doing and all that. And it's like, yeah, guess what? When bread got too expensive in Paris, things ta- things jumped off. The times, they are a-changing. So as... it, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I don't care how much money you have or how, like, how many private soldiers you decide to hire. It's like, you, you don't have enough. Mm-hmm. To stop everyone else. Yep. That's simply not you possible. You can't arrest the entire country, Suttler. Not even the yeah, not but not even the entire country. It's like, uh, guess what? You're a company that's based around the globe, and like, okay, you might get things. So like, you can't exploit you know eight billion people for, for the efforts of two billion because if those eight billion people decide to start rising up, your two billion can't stop them. Eat the rich. <laughs> exactly. Pretty much. Oh, but, you know, again, I still think back to that Werner Herzog quote. The, the universe is, the, the universe's prime function is darkness, chaos, and disorder. And that, you know, if we by human nature choose to find meaning and order and reason in that darkness, then that just makes us the light, the defiant light in the universe. So despite all our pessimism for the way, for not just how things are, but the way humanity is, that thought always just gives me that no matter how dark things get, there's always a little bit of hope to keep going. Just so long as we don't make, we just make sure that that light doesn't, go out fully then then well i don't think any of us have anything left to say (laughs) fair and speaking of which i think that's actually a pretty good way to to cap this episode off because we've been going off for a really long time and for those of you who've actually stuck around for this entire time kudos to you like thanks for listening no seriously like those of you who are actually sticking around for real thanks for listening because like this is what we do to stay sane this is Hopefully, this is what you listen to to stay sane. Um, and uh, like I said, you, we'll be back again for, and we'll uh, be back again uh, next week uh, for actually another kind of uh, dystopian future. But this one, I guarantee you, is going to be a little bit shorter, slightly. Um, we still <laughs> go off on the rails a little bit, but um, we're going to be back to, with you next next week with another dystopian, but far more whimsical and fun terry gilliam's brazil i know you've been really excited about that one sean because <laughs> you're like an even bigger terry gilliam fan than i am but yeah oh, that'll yes. be that'll be next week uh uh we didn't watch the movie v for Ven- we didn't we, we didn't make the movie v for vendetta but we watched it uh so hopefully you guys enjoyed and you enjoyed time here and we really do love all of you listening so um as always i've been tim I've been Sean. And this has been Contract where you'll never have to watch a movie alone again. Peace. Peace.